This podcast is brought to you by patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Head there to check out exclusive podcasts like Talking Futurama, Talk King of the Hill, the What a Cartoon Movie podcast, and tons more. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy, everybody. Welcome to Talking Simpsons, the podcast that murders gun violence. I'm your host, a horrible ghoul from the past, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons, who is here with you today, as always. Hey, it's Henry Gilbert, and I want to read that FDR versus Superman comic book. And who is our special guest today in the same room? This is Nina Matsumoto, and one handsome hubby is all I need. That's very true. And this week's episode is Treehouse of Horror 13. <laughs> I don't know, neighborinos. I'm all for Halloween fun, but seance sounds a little PG-13. This episode originally aired on November 3rd, 2002, several days after Halloween. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> oh my god! Oh boy, Bobby, and welcome to season 14. Republicans do great in elections for Congress in the lead up to the invasion of Iraq. The Santa Claus 2 tops the box office and thanks to the World Series going to seven games where the Angels beat the Giants, this Halloween special airs after Halloween. Unfair. Mm-hmm. And that will be the case for, I think, most of the, the teen Simpson seasons. It, it happens a lot. I blame it on the World Series being too exciting and going to an unexpected game seven thus taking up the sunday before halloween over and over again uh and this was when the uh the anaheim angels defeated the san francisco giants and it's the anaheim angels only championship they have never won the world series since oh the angels they do the the arm flappy thing right Angels in the Outfield? Was that oh, the, that wasn't that movie. movie. Uh, you know, I don't, did they do it at the real games? I don't know. I, I'm thinking of the, the movie about the kid breaks his arm and gets a really good fastball. Yeah, that's the rookie. The rookie, that's, okay. Yeah. There, were, there was no uh, d- devil in that one or God. How does breaking your arm make you better at sports? Uh, just the way they reset it. It didn't yeah. happen with Henry, though. It didn't no. make his pitch any stronger. <laughs> Actually, my left arm was weaker for a while when I broke my arm. But yeah, I believe the plot... I actually remember the plot of that movie better than Angels in the Outfield, which was like the kid breaks his arm and it causes like hypertension in one of his muscles so that he just falls, throws like a natural like 95 mile an hour speedball, fast speedball, fastball. Uh, (laughs) But and the and the Cubs sign him to the team uh, for a whole season. If only breaking our bodies did make us better at things. Mm -hmm. It should make us strong. Yeah, I mean, Dragon Ball leads me to believe that having your body shatter turns you into a much stronger person but i guess you have to be uh a saiyan for that to work and santa claus 2 out of all the santa claus movies i think this one honors christ the most which is why (laughs) uh the tv series is clearly the best of this franchise because they brought it back they really renewed the the honoring of christ for the series which has always been there from the very beginning it's a christian movie it's always been about religion yeah always and you're being censorious of religion if you think otherwise yeah that the crazy thing with uh, Santa Claus 2 I thought was that they they waited so long that his like son was an adult by the time like it was like seven years so he had an adult son and had to then uh, I mean also it's about forced heteronormativity because he has to have a Mrs. Claus Mm -hmm. like that's the it's called the Mrs. Claus because he has to have a wife to be Santa Claus. In case people aren't aware I want to explain our joke (laughs) earlier. (laughs) What was the joke? That uh, Tim Allen wanted to put religion 
back in uh, Santa Cla- uh, Santa Claus TV series. Yeah, because yeah. he said, "Oh, well, it's about Christmas. You, you can't have Christmas without Christ." <laughs> when the Santa Claus movies are like the most Christ-free movies that ever happened, like it's just about how Santa's a magical spirit who has nothing to do with with Jesus to run his you know Santa Claus shops. Yeah, it's funny. He was complaining about how apparently they wanted to put in a bunch of like spirits and fairies and like ghouls and goblins or whatever in the TV show, but he refused. <laughs> He's like, "No, this is about." Christ. He had a no goblins policy in his contract with Disney Plus. <laughs> and and speaking of goblins, the goblins are invading Iraq soon, and they just got a big majority in Congress. The uh, the Republicans did uh, in this lead up to it. Though we're still, uh, I guess you'd say March. March is when it happens in 03, So we're still as people who were adults in this time, we knew it was coming. We didn't want it to happen, the invasion of Iraq, but it was uh, impossible to stop. Yes, we stumbled into war. Yeah, well, we end with the best of intentions. Oh, old Butterfingers us. Yeah, and there was just a great a Citations Needed podcast everybody should listen to if you want to hear about how all of this post-20 anniversary bullshit about how, you know, he lied to us. He wanted us to believe he had weapons of mass destruction. Like, absolutely not. And I like, it was just, just listen to it. if you. It, but only if you want to be mad. Only if you want to be mad. Mm-hmm. And speaking of being mad, today's special guest is uh, Nina Matsumoto. She mentioned a handsome hubby up front. That's me. Yeah, that was a great, great, great first line. <laughs> oh, thank you. Actually, I thought, uh, Henry, you might use it, so I prepared oh. more. <laughs> no, yeah, that's funny, because I had the ghoul one, and then Bob used that, so I was like, ah, oh, no, uh, yeah. See, because I, I never use the word hubby or hubs or any of that, <laughs> but you do, so I thought you were going to take that one. I do say husband a lot, it's true, yeah. And so Nina, you, say, you say hubby, hubby yeah, a lot. And true. Nina isn't mad, let me correct myself, she's mad about podcasting. Exactly. And And Halloween. Yes. I am a Halloween weirdo. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, you're in town right now. Yes. (laughs) Also that. Well, I mean, this is a spooky episode. It also has cowboys in it, another thing Nina enjoys. So it's a good fit. Like guns. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nina loves guns. Mm -hmm. Nina's fired more guns than me, but I fired more guns than Henry. So Mm -hmm. I'm the the lowest on the gun. (laughs) To clarify, I've gone like range shooting a few times, and I do think it is fun, like target shooting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I haven't gone in a long time though because i feel bad uh giving money to any kind of gun business <laughs> probably you would think mo- anybody who owns a gun range probably not a great person or one you'd want to hang out with but the act of like like target shooting and aiming the gun and stuff like that is is fun i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, one also I, I was curious too is a award-winning artist of uh, of simpsons work including what do you this is the first episode of the digital era of the uh, really like what what do you think about being an artist drawing both either on physical media versus digital art obviously i grew up drawing on paper but then as soon as we had the ability to draw uh, on the computer i switched to that and now i just do everything digitally for me it's it's a lot easier being able to erase anything like lines colors whatever uh being able to like move elements around like shrink elements just adding layers taking them away it's just so much uh it just speeds up the process so much instead of having to like erase something and redrawing which i had to do a lot back when i did pencils for bongo uh, comics on actual paper and then i would like send it to them via FedEx. And then eventually I was like, can I just do this digitally? And they're like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> because I hated it when, like, say, I would draw, like, the entire family and then they, uh, my uh, editor would tell me, like, oh, can you make uh, shift them down, like, half an inch to make more room uh, above for the speech bubble? I'd be like, I just have to, like, <laughs> redraw this whole thing? Like, can't you just, like, copy 
uh, not copy paste, but like cut and paste it lower. Uh, apparently not. But mm. ever since I um, switched to digital, I think I've been a uh, much better artist. It was cool during. Uh, I remember during the p- pandemic, you did a few art streams where you I get. To, I, I oh yeah. As a non-artist, I always am. You know, marveling at like, wow, look at that! Like the 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 quick use of um, shortcuts to be like, oh wait, that layer's wrong. Do do and redo it, and then draw another thing. It's really neat. Yeah, um, I, I like drawing fast, and that's why digital works for me best, because I, I don't like being slowed down by having to erase and redraw and like, we on have, paper. We have big life news, by the way. Uh, as of midnight, uh, the day before this recording, Nina and I started the process to close on a condo Ooh. in Vancouver. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so after years of talking about it, I am finally moving. It's really yeah. happening, yes. folks. And we Finally. Came up, and we came up with a, a gesture and a, a slogan to celebrate it. You cross your hands over your chest and you say, new condo forever. <laughs> Just like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Chadwick Boseman and anyone else who died that month has to do in heaven. Yeah, I, I laughed too much when I first heard you say that. Yes. <laughs> That's a good... All right, I'm going to have to do it too. New condo uh, forever. New condo forever. <laughs> I just I just wanted to say, uh, going back to The Simpsons, I'm sorry. It's Mom. okay. I'm glad I'm finally on a, a Halloween a Treehouse of Horror episode because I, I'm a huge fan of Halloween, like I mentioned up front, and I love Treehouse of Horror. However, this is the first one I ever missed, I think, because mm. this was when I really stopped watching the show for a, for a long time. Because when I watched it, I thought, like, I don't have any memory of seeing this um, when it aired. And I used to be so excited for Treehouse of Horror every year, but for some reason, this one I, I managed to miss, and I guess I, it didn't really bother me because I kind of stopped watching uh, TV in general for a bit. You know, that's uh, I had a very similar issue with this episode too. I think I did. I think I watched it live, but it's a very vague memory. Maybe I did just watch like the first clone hmm. clones one. No, I remember the Kaiser Wilhelm stuff. So now, okay, but it made little impression to me, and I didn't tape it. It was I think this fourteen was the first season we just gave up on the Henry's Tale of the Tape fully. Oh yeah, welcome to season fourteen, everyone. Yes, yeah, and then Tale of the Tapes is retired now. Uh, for season fourteen, but I've still got all the old stories from the first season. <laughs> oh boy, they'll come but, back. But but yeah, no, I I also missed this, and then I didn't really watch this episode again until the season fourteen DVD release in twenty eleven, and that was the first time I really watched it again. I also did not get this dvd set it's a great set it's a really great set yeah from what you a little of what you showed me uh when i first uh, got here like yeah it seems really cool it's it's a treehouse of horror theme set all the menus are cool the packaging is cool the way you pull the discs out of it is not cool but that will be the case for every disc set after i think 12 or 11 or something like (laughs) that yeah i mean it was it's for conservation purposes i get it they wanted to use less plastic in it totally understandable no no listen if ed sheeran can just fly on his private jet wherever he wants I can get a sturdier DVD set. I'm putting uh, yeah. my foot down. No, I, I, it's not okay. <laughs> but yeah, I think this was the first DVD set that I bought. And I was like, I do want to keep hearing the commentaries, but I don't feel invested in the actual episodes themselves. And even though this, I think, is one of the best of the season, there's some other episodes this season that when I was looking at them on the list, I was like, ooh, that episode. <laughs> right, right. I, I, well, well, this is a very boring history of me buying DVDs, but I'll say it because it's my podcast. But I think I stopped 
stopped buying the DVDs with 13 and they kept coming out, but I didn't care. But in 2015, Fallout uh, 4 came out and I was like, this is my chance to catch up with all of those commentaries. And this is when the sets were still in print and very cheap. So I bought 14, 15, 16, 17, and I think 18 you uh, got, just in one go. You got the 18 US release that is now like over $100. And 19 is pretty rare too, right? It, yeah, it is. It, that's why I did buy 19. I didn't have 18 until very recently because I found out that the Canadian version of it, uh, which is essentially the same box as you'd buy in America, is only like 50 bucks. Like whoever printed them in, in Canada printed more copies than the US side did. So, and all you have to do is, you know, the only thing that's annoying is it has to be Les Simpsons right under <laughs> the Simpsons on the on the art. <laughs> I gotta admit, I, I didn't know the DVD sets went up that high. They uh, All the way up to 19? Yes, yeah. Well, and technically 20, but not really. You don't, don't want to it. it. No, it's... No commentaries? No, and I think 2018 is when season 19 came out, and that was just on the cusp of the Disney deal. Maybe it was even 2019 right after the deal, but that was the last one with the full menus, with the full commentaries. We've said it before, but they said they recorded commentaries for more, and they were going to be on the FX app, FXX, FX, whatever. Yeah, the Simpsons World yeah. FXX, yeah. But no go. I've I'm I haven't heard them say anything new about it. When I even went to that D twenty three panel, if I if they had an open mic, I would have asked a question like, "What's up with the DVDs? You said there were DVD commentaries." Disney but. won't let them. They say, "Get back in the Star Wars uh, shorts room." <laughs> yes. Oh uh, God, they just did another one. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder what the next thing will be an oh. advertisement for. I don't want to know. <laughs> we have a lot of preamble stuff to go over, though. Boy, do we? Yeah. Yes. So uh, I have two writers corners because we have two new writers on this episode and it's fitting that this is a halloween episode because these guys are both ghosts oh no uh all due respect to their families and loved ones who miss them very much of course but uh yes it's strange that we're doing a halloween episode it's two writers first uh, you know crack at the bat and they're now both deceased it is what are the odds it is kind of eerie yeah, yeah. Well, because there aren't a lot of uh, at the time of this recording late simpsons writers it's not of, of people who had full credited writing ones it's it's ve- there's very few i, I think we're, i mean I'm, I'm sad to say i think we're up to seven or eight uh, counting sam simon oh shoot well okay yeah, yeah. but it, well, i mean it'll only increase yeah. <laughs> as time goes on uh let's cover mark wilmore who uh, really recently passed away so we covered this on talk to the audience at the time but mark wilmore died on uh, january 30th 2021 at age 57 from what sounds like covid and other health complications apparently he received a kidney transplant at some point in the 1990s that was causing him serious health problems since then uh-huh. and i think his brother or a family member said he's, he's finally at peace he was dealing with like pain and health problems his whole life and i think covid is what just pushed his body over the edge yeah it was really sad to read that that's what the final it sounded like it was the last straw uh, for his constitution which is really like i mean with a lot of the covid deaths you hear about um sadly it's a lot of just like comorbidities like those yeah yeah it's uh, when he's such a great you mentioned his brother like he most people refer to him that's they mostly think about larry wilmore his more famous brother who a famous comedian who even had his own like daily show alike the kind of show after the daily show yeah and i mean the writers we're covering are very talented guys but it also shows you the kind of people al gene was hiring to pick on al gene a little more we love doing it here it's not fresh new writers like oakley and weinstein it's not people that have great spec scripts like matt selman who get like one seinfeld and then jump onto the simpsons it's people who have worked in entertainment for 10 or even 20 plus years uh in the case of mark wilmore he started as a writer and then 
became a writer slash performer on Fox's sketch show in Living Color for the entire series. And then in the final season, he was a performer. So for all, I think, five seasons, he was a writer and then a performer on the show. And I, I, he did break barriers as the, I do believe, the first the first black writer on the actual writing staff. Michael Carrington in season four co-wrote Homer's Triple Bypass, but uh, he was not staff. So, right. yeah, I think we'll, I believe Mark Wilmar is the first. So, yeah, it's uh, he is breaking barriers in the Simpsons writing room. <laughs> in season 13. <laughs> so from uh, In Living Color, he went to The Tonight Show from 1995 to 1998. He was a writer for that. And then he entered the Simpsons orbit by being a writer for the PJs, where he also played the character Walter. And yes, his brother Larry shares the created by credit with former Simpsons writer Steve Tompkins. But there's also a handful of other Simpsons people on the PJs. So the PJs created by Steve Tompkins and Larry Wilmore. But you'll see a lot of other Simpsons writers in the episode listing. I wonder if Mark Wilmore was under like a Fox overall deal that then when PJs got canceled, they transferred him over to the Simpsons. It could be. I wonder. And. And just like the next writer we're talking about, this was an Al Jean hire at the beginning of production season 13. So you'll see he's first a producer on She of Little Faith. And then he'd remain on The Simpsons staff until the end of production season 26 and 2015. He'd write 11 more episodes after this first one. And he left The Simpsons to be an executive producer on F is for Family with fellow Simpsons writer Michael Price, who will join The Simpsons in production season 14, which we're not in yet. Right. And so Mark Wilmore ended his career with F is for Family and the penultimate episode of that show is dedicated to him as is the Simpsons episode Wad Goals. So All right, yeah. he was doing it up until he died and then there were episodes that came out after he died. Uh, it's, uh, it's too it's too bad. I, uh, I This reminds me to watch, I watched all the first season of for Family. I need to watch the rest of it. It's but. a quality show, maybe a little too mean, but mm. I, I did enjoy the first season. So that is Mark Wilmore, RIP, of course. The other writer, uh, also deceased, uh, Kevin Coran. So both these guys passed away in their late 50s, far too early. He passed away at age 59 in October of 2016 and he has the Simpsons pedigree you would expect so one he went to Harvard (laughs) worked on the Lampoon after he worked on the National Lampoon he went to Late Night with David Letterman in some of those pivotal early years and yes he did work with Jeff Martin on David Letterman which is why you'll see them credited together on a lot of things in the future so he is on the writing staff with Jeff Martin so again Al Jean is not hiring fresh and upcoming young talent he's hiring guys who worked on the original David Letterman run in the early 80s Uh, reliable writers but uh, you know not maybe that explains why these seasons are a little listless because these people they don't have really have anything to prove. They're hard workers, but they've been in the game for a long time. And guys who want to go home at five yes. and get a script out. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, I, I always think back to when we interviewed Dan Graney and we said, like, what's Al Jean's management style or showrunner style? And the uh, character, I remember he said, Steady Eddie. Mm-hmm. Like, he he just keeps it on track and not going not gonna to take any big swings. Yeah. And yes, he would then, uh, after Late Night with David Letterman, he would then work with Jeff Martin in the mid-90s. They would co-create the sitcoms Hardball and The Good Life together. And Martin's wife, Suzanne, is another creditor, uh, credited creator on The Good Life. And a long, long time ago, we went over the different shows the Departing Simpsons writers left or made. And The Good Life was an early Drew Carey vehicle before the Drew Carey show. 
Yeah, Martin, that's funny that Martin leaves The Simpsons for his big, big old Disney deal. And then he brings in Kevin Curran. And then eventually uh, life brings Curran to The Simpsons that Martin was still not working on. And it's funny to see where Kevin Curran went because he went to Harvard, worked on the Lampoon, worked on the National Lampoon, worked on David Letterman, the 80s stuff, like the groundbreaking stuff that was the the people of that generation that was their Conan O'Brien. From that he goes on to work at Married with Children for five years where he is the initial voice of Buck Bundy. Yes, Buck Bundy the dog. The talking dog, which I loved every time he talked on that show. I loved it as a kid. And Buck would have a few more voices. After Kevin left, I think like as a little stunt, he was briefly voiced by Cheech Marin in some very Buck-focused episodes. And then I think another writer voiced him, but initial Buck was... Kevin Curran and, and I remember um, Buck went to heaven and reincarnated as another dog yes yeah <laughs> much much later in the series those years I didn't like as much but yes he somehow got that pivotal role but yeah married with children had Harvard writers on it that's that is not you wouldn't have thought it from how it was treated at the time by people <laughs> and this should not surprise you in any way but Kevin Curran also wrote for the sitcom unhappily ever after because the married with children co-creator created that so mm-hmm. he's also on uh, unhappily ever after before for the Simpsons so it's just like very highbrow stuff and then very lowbrow stuff and then the Simpsons in that one they're like why do we need to have just voiceover over a dog let's just have a puppet like mm-hmm. let's just go all the way and have a little puppet talk and Kevin Crayon is also an icebox guy he got an icebox deal in the year 2000 he created something I had never heard of until doing research it's all on YouTube because all these things are it looks like garbage it sounds even worse because it was made for dial-up modems to download but it's called the pub of heaven and it's a kind of a cheers parody in which a bar in heaven is run by JFK and a bunch of other historical figures show up there. So it's sort of like Clone High before Clone High in a way. Interesting. You know, I didn't even see that. When I did the big icebox deep dive, I guess I was too distracted by <laughs> luminaries like Mr. Wong to to have missed uh, the, the pub in heaven pub. How could you? <laughs> yes, I missed it too. And Coran also worked very briefly on The Simpsons before this season. So in season nine, he was a consulting producer on the two David Merkin satellite episodes. So he worked on uh, All Singing, All Dancing and The Joy of Sack just as a guy in the little tiny writer's room they made to produce those two episodes. That's where they also had the former head writer of those old uh, David Letterman show to, yes. to write Joy of Sect. Yeah. Which- completely unnecessary like yeah this it's just favors yeah. to their, their friends i mean who are good writers but still yeah so like wilmore hired with she of little faith after his trios of horror segment he writes 11 episodes through season 29 though he seemed to have left the show like wilmore at the end of production season 26 and a fun fact about kevin coran he became the partner of author helen fielding in the year 2000 and they had two kids together helen fielding the author of bridget jones's diary Oh, wow. Yes. I didn't so, know that. Yeah. Fam- famous wife as well. Wow. But yes, he has passed. And yeah, uh, RIP to both these guys. Now, that's uh, it's funny to hear him on the commentary. He's even doing, he does the Bud voice uh, or bu- Buck voice, not Bud Bundy. That's a different guy. He uh, says his favorite Buck quote is, yeah, right. Or something like just <laughs> something very yeah, right. comebacky. <laughs> um, but yeah, Triassic War 13. I know Henry has a lot about this, but this is the return of David Silverman. It's the first episode he has directed since Mother Simpson 
Jason in season seven. Yeah, he returned to the show in production 13 as well. Probably Al Jean is getting a lot of the old crew back together for uh, his stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think it was really interesting to see who Gene worked hard to get back. But it was, I mean, it was a big deal to get Silverman back. If you chart, we discovered this since we did our interview with him. When we interviewed him, we did ask, a, I, I listened back. We did ask a couple questions about this episode and the return to digital. But that was before we did Road to El Dorado, which mm. the secret of that is that technically I believe it is Silverman left Simpsons to get a big money DreamWorks deal from Katzenberg to staff up the DreamWorks animation. And he was supposed to be the director of Road to El Dorado. And like the Kevin Klein character in it even just looks like him or how he looked back then. And uh, something fell through and he was not a director or co-director of Road to El Dorado. And then he leaves that for Pixar. He moves up to the Bay Area where we live, works on, and it seems like he was brought in late on Monsters, Inc. to help it get finished. And, like, he's a co-director on that. And then by the time he is done like the time monsters inc is released he's back at fox like he's he has uh, a consultant credit on ice age which comes out a little after or no before this episode hmm. he must have just signed a new overall deal with fox but i'll tell you what my big theory is is that this came up so many times a variety stuff when they signed the actors to the new deal uh part of it was they are committed to do a movie if it's made, if the production starts within five years. So I think Silverman partially was hired back because they're like, if you come back, you, you're the director of the movie. If we make the movie, you're the movie director. That's what it felt like to me. I had that inkling. And to stop the fact checkers out there, yes, technically the last thing he directed was the 138th episode Spectacular as Pound Foolish. But really, there's like five minutes of wraparounds. Yeah, though it is him playing around with digital. Yeah, which, that's true. Yeah. And this is a digital test episode because this was their third test run there was radioactive man then there was tennis the menace and then there was this they liked how this goes but it's not until the production season 14 starts that digital takes over completely there's still a handful of cell episodes after this one and it's funny that now they've reached where they started recording commentaries for the series because in the earliest commentaries they're saying we're about to stop doing digital ink or we're about to go digital nobody does ink and paint anymore like that was partially the reason they were doing it too and uh, I checked the the credits. This is a rough draft produced episode, uh, which they were, you know, doing. They'd been they'd done four seasons of Futurama by this point. Uh, I mean, the fourth season's about to air, but they they've already it's done. It. Yeah, yeah. So, and I do think you can tell that Silverman really enjoyed the possibilities of digital allowing him to animate a lot more because he really animated a lot in this one too and i'm glad that they like held out for so long they wanted it to be on cells forever but al Jean says that people overseas they weren't doing that anymore so they eventually had to make the transition but if they made the transition with radioactive man it wouldn't look as good as it looks with this i feel yeah. like this digital look is very very good especially for the time and i'm glad they waited and uh if you listen to some of those later commentaries like on season 17 and 18 the uh animators working with the current tool set miss this the more hand-drawn yeah. look where the only digital element is coloring this does seem to be uh pencils on paper 
then scanned into computer. Yeah, yeah. We were watching the animatic before we started, and it's just pencil drawings mm-hmm. and like regular, just photograph pencil drawings like they used to. But I do think this is about as good as the show can look at this point. Like that, Silverman, Silverman can push it. A big thing I am glad that Silverman is back for is that he he looks like he gets to break the rules. You know, like that he. There's a couple times like when Marge says, "Oh, you dear," her face is at an angle that is like against the rules but looks good for the line and i feel like that i again i've said it before jim reardon is one of the best directors they ever had on the show but when he became supervising director around that time i think they weren't allowed to have as much fun or go off model and i think silverman thanks to his status can break the model rules on his shows in ways other directors aren't allowed to yes once you co-direct uh, monsters inc and come back you can throw your weight around a little bit yeah and, and i also like that he shouts out the assistant director nancy cruz uh specifically mm-hmm. as, as giving a lot of space yeah this is a really good looking episode there's so many elaborate shots of lots of characters on screen at the same time and uh, it makes sense now knowing that they, they tried digital for this because if they had to like uh, hand paint all this stuff um it would have been uh, <laughs> very difficult i imagine yeah i think that's why they went with the clone segment because silverman was explaining there there'd be so many cell layers necessary for all of these moving characters that the background would be cloudy there'd be all the cell flare which does look cool at times but there's a limit to how much they can actually photograph with the physical process yeah, there, there'd be way too many shadows everywhere. yeah yeah this definitely feels like how uh, a boost up also like budget wise from other episodes in production season 13 like i think i it feels like they had a little bigger budget too i think it's like also too if you've watched another the last regular episode silverman directed the aborted movie sequel the man who would be dinner that also when you watch it like oh this is this is like the budget of two regular tv episodes like not film budget but they definitely spent a bit more on it too yeah and after this he'll direct four more episodes three of them are trios of horrors and now he is a consultant producer that could be because he is in his late 60s now and not wanting to direct as much or it could be disney's budget cuts a lot of big producers got slapped down to consulting producers seemingly some of them against their will yeah i think uh i think gene saved him in making him the guy who's in charge of the commercials on disney plus yes yes and i think just by having that producer credit he's not viewed by the suits as just a replaceable animation cog right yeah not looked down upon like other animators and he's allowed to pitch jokes and stuff he he mentions being in the writer's room so silverman is kind of a writer at this point i wish more directors on the show were given the level of respect silverman is and but silverman earned it he is like in the hierarchy of important simpsons creatives i'd say he's third probably like what the true person who defined the rules of what simpsons animates like it's david silverman if it's anybody Mm -hmm. you know he's he is the guy so i'm i I mean it was great that they got him back but there's only so much you can see silverman in some scenes it looks great but he's pushing against like the budget the rules as they are now the resources he has not just money wise but just like there's only so many animators around and and time so he's doing the best he can with it but i like does this look as good as treehouse uh four or five no not not in my opinion but this is as good as they're gonna get it to Mm -hmm. look at this point yeah and you know we started the episode talking about dead bodies and this episode starts with a notable dead body being dug up (laughs) that's right this also feels like well it is a 
fix here. This is definitely a fix. Uh, and yeah, if you guys have your DVDs, I was showing it to, to Bob and Ian right beforehand. If you go to the episode on the Simpsons season 14 DVD, press up, you'll get into the x-rays and you can watch the animatic for the first nine minutes of this. And one noticeable thing in that animatic is one of the lines said by Maud is, I believe Mitzi, uh, it's not it's not the returning guest star. It's or also voice, I guess not guest star. Is, is, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, uh, let's let's talk about it. This is the return of Maggie Roswell, a, a pretty big deal. And she finally got whatever pittance she wanted just to be able to have herself flown in to record so i looked this up uh which is the main friendly newspaper for becky roswell is the local major denver newspaper like she is a superstar of denver and you guys love you you guys are big fans of denver too we didn't spot maggie roswell we were looking for her (laughs) no she was not at meow wolf (laughs) so so i read this um 2011 interview with her uh, about just her career a lot of simpsons talk was in there and in that she mentioned in case you don't know and we talked about this in the episode where Maude died in season 11 but Roswell got her start in Los Angeles in the mid 90s uh, she and her husband who she's still with adopted the daughter that uh, a a baby girl and a big thing for Roswell was she wanted to get out of Los Angeles like every she in that interview she has nothing nice to say about living in LA she did not and she did not want to raise her kid there so she was going to move to Denver which she did but uh, she was flying to L.A. every time she would record in person. And this was before there was really, you know, it's nothing like today of having long distance remote guests. I think they could still do it. They just yeah. didn't want to pay for it because I remember uh, a long time ago uh, in the mid 90s watching behind the scenes of The Lion King and it's like, oh, Matthew Broderick recorded his lines over the phone. So yeah. they, they had DSL lines for voice actors, but <laughs> I'm sure Fox didn't want to pay for that for what they considered a C-tier actor on The Simpsons. Yeah, it's, uh, these were the numbers she put out there that basically that she was getting paid around 2000 an episode uh and then at the same time she's almost losing money on travel to go there to record it and on top of that she's seeing the main cast who's been on the show as long as she has get hundreds of thousands of dollars per episode i can see why she'd be a little pushed to then say that uh, her number is she says she wanted 6k an episode mainly just to cover the expense of travel and she then got lowballed in an offer back to fox and she quits then they kill maude in response to being mad that she quit and so uh the story is then that i believe it was al Jean, but the show wanted to patch things up with her it was bad press for him uh here's how she explained it in 2011 i do it from home and i could not be more grateful we work from march until november two weeks on one week off i get sag insurance it's great i'm living the life she just does it remotely from Denver. She doesn't have to fly in. And she even, they were so nice to her that by the 2007 premiere of the movie, they flew her in to attend a premiere with her daughter. Oh, and how she nice. She was very happy about and that. And by the way, the other voice actor, I think you called her Mitz- Mitzi? Mi- Mitzi, yes. Yeah, it's Marsha Mitzman Gavin. <laughs> that's my. Uh, I, I was sitting here Mitzman. wondering who the hell Mitzi is that's my uh, for the past for 10 no, minutes. I, <laughs> I, I see that she actually, maybe because of the, how the production worked out, but she voices Maude one more 
time. Okay, I didn't in, know in that. Large Marge. She's credited as voicing Maud in Large Marge, but then never again. So maybe that was still when they were working with her, negotiating with her. Maybe Gavin was in the room and they were like, "We need one line for Maud for this upcoming episode. Can you do it?" And they uh, forgot to take her out. Or they forgot to re-record it. But she is credited with season fourteen, episode four, Large Marge. Interesting. Which yeah. is in well, this production run, I think. Yeah, we're going to see it soon enough yeah. in, in the sh- on our podcast. But yeah, it's uh, one other bit from that 2011 interview. They asked her, the interviewer said, how would you like to die? And she replied, I'm Maude Flanders. I'm already dead. Huh. Like She she also is pretty clear of like, I did not like how they killed me on the show. She was very clear on that. I think it's great that she, that somebody made it work with her. I And, you know, maybe it was that Al Jean made that a priority of like, we should make up with Maggie Roswell. And not only do they get back Maude for flashback scenes, but also her incidental character, not incidental, but her recurring characters like Luann Van Houten and Miss Hoover can talk again. I figured out the mystery, though. Oh. So Large Marge is the 18th production order episode. This is 19. So we go back to Gavin for Large Marge, but then never again. Because Mm. we're still in production season 13. Okay. I'm sorry. I I just love the idea of asking someone in an interview, how would you like to die? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds very threatening. As you're you're polishing a gun in front of them. (laughs) I know. That was... There were other ones of like... uh, Honestly, it was was a crummy interview, but it had good quotes from her. But the questions... I think maybe the person thought they were like the inside the actor's studio questions of like, what's your favorite food or what's your favorite line or whatever. But yeah, she's... uh, She she comes off as a a nice lady who seems like a Christian Democrat uh, is, is kind of her style. Interesting, okay. And I'm glad, I'm happy for her that she is enjoying Denver while still getting to be a recurring voice on The Simpsons, probably with no residuals, but at least getting paid a respectable amount of money while getting to work from Denver. Mm -hmm. So, So good for her. The Simpsons will be right back. For one year, America has waited... On Fox Sunday, the wait is over. Early the uh, homers are occupying these areas. By tomorrow, with doomed. Treehouse of Horror 13, the unluckiest treehouse of all. The Simpsons, 8, 7 Central, Sunday on Fox. We're out of donuts! Whether you're attacking Family Guy or not, this is Henry Gilbert saying welcome to the break. Huge thank you to our guest this week, Nina Matsumoto. It's always awesome to have her in person for one of our recordings. Thanks so much. Follow her on Twitter at Space Coyotal and check out all the cool stuff Nina does in her Space Coyote artwork as well on Instagram, on her personal website, all the cool stuff she does for places like Fan Gamer and Rift Tracks. And of course, the awesome art she does for us, including all the t-shirts we have on Public. Check it all out. And thanks so much again, Nina. You're the best. And if you're a fan of Talking Simpsons Podcast, you should know it's only possible thanks to listeners like you who subscribe at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons for five bucks a month. You get to listen to every episode a week ahead of time and ad free, and you also get a ton of exclusives. Every month you get a new episode of Talking Futurama and Talk King of the Hill. We're in seasons four and three, respectively, of those great series. And if you sign up, you get the entire back catalog. All the previous episodes of Futurama and King of the Hill we covered. Plus, we covered every episode of The Critic of Mission Hill. And we're going through a lot of our favorite episodes episodes of batman the animated series you can only hear those amazing exclusives if you sign up at patreon.com slash talking simpsons 
But if you want something even better than a Fox attitude, you should sign up at the premium level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons today because that 10 bucks a month gets you all the $5 things I just said. And then you get our monthly What a Cartoon movie podcast. Us talking about an animated feature film super in depth, just like we do an episode of The Simpsons, which often means talking for over six hours even about an animated feature film like Toy Story 4. That's what you're going to hear at the end of this month if you sign up today at patreon.com slash talking simpsons us going in depth into the most recent pixar toy story adventure and don't forget next month if you sign up you'll get to hear us talk about the incredibles a real pixar favorite of mine back catalog includes recent stuff like the little shop of Fires 1986 film and dumbo or even some classics that go everywhere from akira to a goofy movie kiki's delivery service to spider-man into the spider-verse check it all out for yourself at patreon.com slash talking simpsons today to see the almost five years worth of what a cartoon movies in addition to all the other stuff one more time patreon.com slash talking simpsons It is the return of Maud. This is Al Jean finally dealing with the fact that they killed Maud. He wouldn't have killed Maud. I really wish he's joked about this before. I, it would have been a crappy episode and I'd have complained about it when it happened. But if in season 14, it was close enough to her death. It would have been the poison pill to swallow that they could have just done an episode where Maud returns and she's like, no, I faked my death because, and there's a dumb reason for it and the episode sucks, but at the end of it, Maud is back and we're done with this dead Maud stuff, but it's too late. They they couldn't, they didn't undo it. Yeah, Al Jean said we couldn't think of a way to bring her back. And mm-hmm. I, I think, I my, my argument is it's The Simpsons. You could just magic her back to life. I, you I know? don't know. People were mad when she died, but I think bringing her back like it's a soap opera uh, would, would have made fans even angrier yeah i mean i would have been one of those angry fans and calling it the worst episode you would have been on the internet within seconds (laughs) i I think it also would have been calling attention to the fact that they killed her and they didn't want that they know it was a probably the least popular thing they ever did i i wonder if it was very fulfilling for maggie roswell to play a vengeful spirit who's mad that she got killed i i wonder if this felt good for her to to scream at everybody as as the character here is the return of maggie roswell as the spirit of maud flanders maud flanders we the living beseech you to appear ned i'm back give me a kiss Ah! chill out dudes it's me bart simpson (laughs) (laughs) what are you looking at Maud, you still look as pretty as the day I buried you. Are you ready for tales that will shatter your spine and boil your blood? Well, duh. Then choke on these! There, there was one other cut bit from the animatic where Marge asks Maud what heaven is like, and she describes it as like a lazy Sunday morning of like, oh, you have a half grapefruit in the morning, you get the jumble a week ahead of time of everybody else, and and then Homer cuts her off with boor- boring, <laughs> and that's when she does the scream at everybody and, and the transformation. You know, I was thinking with the return of Maggie Roswell, that lets them do more things with uh, Luann Van Houten, who I think they made a lot of jokes about Kirk post Oakley and Weinstein, but they never. 
cared about Luann, but as we get in season 14 and 15, they kind of get back together and there's more stuff between them. So um, uh, Mitzman Gavin never voiced Luann. Yeah, this is also Gene warming back up the reunion of the Van Houtens as well. Yeah. Have you guys ever attempted a seance? No. No, no. But when we went to uh, Arizona, that spooky Tucson? old hotel, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> they just they just had a seance. It was the one of the many places where Dillinger got caught, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, um, I think, every weekend they did a mm-hmm. seance. This was like around Halloween, so all of October they did that. Uh, I've done uh, seances or attempted seances a few times when I was younger, like Ooh. in uh, grade grade six or seven, I would say. Uh, it's not like um, I was a goth or my friends were goth or anything like that. It was just something fun to do, like, oh let's try a seance or oh let's play with a Ouija board like you didn't have to be a, a goth to be into that kind of thing well, hey I, I wasn't a goth but I played Vampire the Masquerade all the time I haven't <laughs> done either I'm the least gothy of all of us <laughs> the, the close I've come to attending a seance is uh, going through the Haunted Mansion ride in Disneyland where they, which does starts that with a seance well it does it starts with a seance from Madame Leota hmm. the, uh, uh, come to uh, spirits from somewhere beyond do you think DeSantis is going to close that down mm. this is demonic <laughs> Well, you know, I was thinking that Marge's outfit is a little cultural appropriation. You know, mm. should she be dressing like a Romani person? Isn't it weird that Lisa says, well, duh? Like, that's, uh, I don't know. I feel like they should do, it could be a little more clever than just, well, duh. <laughs> not, not a great Lisa quip, but also that looks like David Silverman animation. There's a few uh, pieces of dialogue that don't follow the regular mouth charts that feel like he stepped in and wanted to hit those uh, specifically with his own idea. And he gets to break the rules like that. I think this shows what it's not just that they needed David Silverman, but it's great that he's back, but also just loosen it up in general, guys, like let people be more creative in the the character animation. I I wish they would. I, and this is also a big moment too, because, and I triple check this, this is the first time where on screen, the name of this special or this episode is Tree House of Horror number. This is not Simpsons Halloween special number. It is Treehouse of Horror. Even though that's not what it's called, you know? Yes. Yeah, it's not. But I guess it's because it was the 13th one. That's a spooky number. It mm. is. It is pretty spooky. I, I'm i curious, too, if maybe it's because since this was airing after Halloween, they're like, ah, shit, we shouldn't call this Halloween. It's not. <laughs> this is after Halloween now. But uh, though maybe it, too, is because by this point, not just the biggest nerds in the world knew they were called treehouse of horror followed by number that people had watched enough of the dvds that it was more publicly known that they were called treehouse of horror internally so like Mm. let's let's stop calling them the simpsons halloween specials and and i believe they've been treehouse of horror on screen as the official name ever since this one okay cool and one thing i noticed up front is uh we're still without creepy credits my own theory is that they they could not return until the last piece of 9-11 rubble was cleaned up <laughs> and once they once that was cleaned once the uh the freedom tower was started rising whatever it's called the foundations report yeah, yeah. creepy credits came back <laughs> so yeah they none of those creepy credits uh yardley's on the commentary saying like how hard it is to come up with with creepy credits and she always wanted to try something new but she she could not or it was difficult well matt selman comes up with a thing that rhymes with yardley but i won't say it oh 
Oh, right. He does. Boy, there's a few things on there that are like, <laughs> oh, do you know you guys are being recorded on this thing? It was a word that was said on many a podcast in 2010 when this DVD set came out. That's true. That's true. Uh, that And yeah, I see that the, this, uh, this short here, I guess if it parodies anything, it's multiplicity, right? Like, Yeah, we're parodying movies from 1996 in this one. Even though I really <laughs> like it, it's like, here's your multiplicity parody. Here's your Island of Dr. Monroe parody. Yes, I know it is a book and it's been adapted several times but they're really playing into the marlon brando val kilmer movie for sure i've not seen multiplicity you know i i think it was a vhs rental and i barely remember it but it was uh, i mean it was sort of like well it's harold ramus again right doing uh oh i can do more magical a bad husband is fixed by science fiction in some way i had a friend who was really into it but he would only quote the the more simple of the clones oh yes <laughs> yeah. yeah i listened to the we Eat movies uh podcast about it I think it was We Hate Movies. I think it was We Hate Movies, okay. yeah. Okay, I'm pretty sure one of the clones, like, sleeps with the wife. Yeah, there's weird sexual politics in that yeah. movie. Just like in this episode. Uh-huh. Yeah, nobody questioned it then of, like, well, wait, what's that? What, shouldn't the wife know she's sleeping with someone other than she thinks she's sleeping but with? But it is still her husband. Yeah. In a way. Yeah, that's true. But, well, obviously, as we see at the end of this, uh, this act, that Marge is fine with Wittish ever Homer. She'll, she ends up with and this is a real anti-wife season. Oh boy! The, the knives it? are out and the wives are out. <laughs> well, as in as as in the wives are divorcing some yes, <laughs> people on this. They're staff. they're working up to that. <laughs> no, this is really the we've joked about this before. Of like, what's the? I feel like in a few seasons there's that joke of the things they hate about their wife T-shirt that somebody has on, or just like that. Mm. There's Marge starts the scene nagging. She's just like, you should do something on the weekend. I'll I, I think the transformation of Manjula into a horrible harpy is the inauguration of the horrible wife era. And yeah. my wife is on here Hi. and I've never been nagged Mm-mm. or handed a list. I, I do like that Marge hands him a listicle, though. Yeah. She even says like, oh, number three is my favorite. It's that, like saying number four will make you cry. That is great. I love that Marge. I love when they are freeze framing on a list joke or a written sign gag and they go like, that's oh, pretty funny. Like. It's it's good Marge gets to say my favorite is number three, which it is funny that the, uh, you know, a deck over a decade on, they have not written their thank you notes for wedding guests. But then again, they eloped to see if I'm going to have an overly nerdy <laughs> continuity reason for this. They eloped with nobody in uh, uh, across the border and they wouldn't have thank yous to write. But maybe these are thank yous to the people who attended their second wedding that happened in a millhouse divided. Oh, which was a lot of people. Yeah. Well, the details of their wedding, it's changed so many times over the course of the series. I don't really care anymore about continuity. (laughs) Only if she got him, as long as they don't change that they ate a fudgy the whale uh, at their reception. Or that Homer's dad told him to not do anything in the past. (laughs) Yes. See, that one at least, that was in a treehouse. So also Homer should have listened to that one as well in this episode because... They do basically the same joke about him changing the past. Uh, but yes, Homer is uh, tries out his hammock. He also ate all the pancakes for the church breakfast, uh, which, you know, pancakes do make you sleepy. They're uh, they're a powerful sleep aid. I've never gotten into the hammock lifestyle. I've never been presented with a good hammock, though. I mean, I feel like I, I need I need more support. I feel like they'd just be feel like I was inside of a plastic bag or something. Wait, so you never actually used a hammock. I, I've tried. I've okay. tried. Lord, are, you too, I tried. are you too long for the hammock? I think I am. I've mm. been in a hammock before, and I think they're pretty comfy. In mm. fact, the condo we uh, we purchased has a humongous patio. We could put a hammock there. Ooh. Hammock time. Yeah. 
Vancouver. There was a hammock store in Vancouver. Oh, really? Every time I see it, I, I think of the hammock district. Could I be living the hammock lifestyle? <laughs> also, my mom was a nurse, and she came home one day telling a story of how somebody sleeping in a hammock, basically one of the poles crushed them and they died. Ah, yeah. Geez. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, How did I, that happen? Uh, it, it happened in, uh, like 30 years ago, so I don't know the details. But uh, yeah. it made me a little afraid of hammocks, too. I had a hammock uh, in the summer, of one of the summers of high school, I was like, Mom, but give me a hammock. I want to sit out on our patio and, and <laughs> Mom, fetch yeah. me my hammock. <laughs> I think it was like a, a but it was like a, a mesh net hammock and honestly it kind of sucked. Like it it was always because it was a mesh net, it uh, it kind of like cut into my skin. Not cut into <laughs> my skin, but you could you could feel this <laughs> tension yeah. against your skin. It was a barbed wire hammock. <laughs> and like in this episode, it did eventually like getting in it became an ordeal of like, oh, I'm moving too far this way. Okay, like the balance on it though i tied it between two um two corners of the uh the deck like it didn't have its own stand Ooh, but, uh, deck lifestyle <laughs> i'm learning but, more about henry but you know the hammocks they don't have enough cushioning you need to, like what homer's got it's just you know you're laying against a tarp really like i i'd rather sit in an easy chair than a hammock. well you can add cushions in there Sure, but they, then you go on to adjust the cushion, and you're already dealing with more balance issues. For at least for me, this, these were my hammock issues. And, the, and clearly, he breaks his hammocks quite a lot, uh, as he <laughs> he deals with the hammock man very often. As uh, as Homer is excitedly gets a new hammock in our next clip. Hammocks, get your hammocks. <gasps> the hammock man. I'm glad he's a little early today. The price is $10, but I must warn you, this is no ordinary hammock. Its webbing is a mesh of comfort and evil. You had me at comfort. Mr. Hammock, say hello to Madam Ass. What the? It made another me. How cool is that? Uh, hmm, no belly button. Shuttle's in the hangar. You want to be my slave? <laughs> Outstanding. Yeah, there's no... I, I feel like the, the joke of multiplicity is with every copy you make, they just get stupider, but the homers come out of the hammock already as stupid as they'll get. <laughs> well, they are starting from a pretty stupid baseline with Homer, too. It, so... Do you think this hammock man is magic on his own, or did he just happen upon a magic hammock that is cursed and is selling them? Is he? Does Homer regularly see him, and he sells him normal hammocks? I'm, I hmm. want to know the story behind this hammock. He's man. he's like one of the he's like the guy from uh, Trios of Horror Two who sells the monkey's paw, just this mysterious merchant that sells a cursed object. <laughs> right. Oh, and the uh, well, he's the Chinese guy in uh, who sells him the. Uh, who sells Homer the Krusty doll as well the next season too and a yeah. coupon for a free Froger <laughs> mm, full of potassium benzoate that's so delicious it's bad yeah <laughs> you know this episode also reminds me of the the Gravity Falls episode with all the Dipper clones the uh, double Dipper yeah where he uses a copy machine to make clones of himself and one of them is called Paper Jam Dipper because the, the paper got jammed in the copy machine and it's like a, like a deformed clone that makes awful noises <laughs> yeah that's a great episode well, it is that's full of the kind of like how they get away with that on Disney Channel horror of like they kill all of the clones. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of like a Treehouse of Horror episode. Oh yeah, I Gravity Falls in general is like a big tree. It's like Treehouse of Horror the series. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's they get into a lot show. of freaky stuff. 
and Josh Weinstein even worked on it. Mm-hmm. Homer saying outstanding and shovels in the hangar. I know I'm going to say this every episode as long as the guy works on the show, but those both feel very Dana Gould pitchy to me, especially shuttles in the hangar to represent a penis. Will we, you guys we, stop saying Dana Gould so much? We're trying to summon him. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, Henry, I think you're right because, uh, yes, Dana Gould is just one writer, but I feel like as a performer, as a comedian who had been working for like 20 years, he is the strongest voice in the room, and I think he's pitching the loudest. I mean, it just feels like a Dana Gould thing to be like, shuttles in the hangar, like that kind of way of referring to to a person having a penis. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Homer puts his, his clone to work. I like that he calls him ugly. He's like, yeah, we're going to ugly. It's like, he's you. And then Homer, when he sees him die, doesn't care. Like, he's just like, well, I had a good run. Like, no... It, a recurring gag in it is that no one is disturbed at seeing Homer die over <laughs> and over again. It's not upsetting to anybody. <laughs> and these are very funny drawings of dead Homers. Uh, just great drawings of Homer in general. Very silver mini. Oh, by the way, uh, Homer genders his butt as female for some reason. Mm-hmm. Madam right. Madam Ass. <laughs> like, why? It's so smooth and supple <laughs> and, and curvy. He's turned on by his own butt. Is I that guess so. Idea? <laughs> Yeah, Homer wants to dump the corpse, uh, but he needs a second clone to do it. Uh, He then creates it. They dump him in Flanders' backyard, and that leads to no problems at all later in the episode. Is that why Flanders needs the chainsaw later? Uh, He's going to hack up the Homer corpse? I know he says he needs it for a tree, but... (laughs) Also, it's funny when Homer, in the animatic, when Homer denies clone number two the beer, the, the clone says me file grievance (laughs) which i wish they kept that in there that's better than me need clone (laughs) but that is how homer decides he needs more clones then he clones himself and gets two more clones and that that's i also like that that is when homer says i think this could be a magic hammock (laughs) like only after creating three new lives does he realize it's a magic hammock and uh yeah so this is when we see homer doing all the things he can with his clones Care for me? No, you got chores to do. Chores? Me need clone. Clone? That's ridiculous. Where am I supposed to find a... Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, four of me. I think this could be a magic hammock. And it just might be the answer to my problems. What do you think, Homer? Does this make my hips look big? Outfit good, flatters butt. Oh, aren't you a dear? Then after World War II, it got kind of quiet till Superman challenged FDR to a race around the world. FDR beat him by a furlong, or so the comic books would have you believe. The truth lies somewhere in between. takes homer way too long to realize the concept of this story (laughs) (laughs) and they gotta speak it's a treehouse they gotta go fast uh this story that abe tells well it's more of the reference to superman versus muhammad ali but also this tells me al jean's back in charge because this is the plot of a superman versus the flash race that happened around the world oh okay yeah it's the and he uh i looked it up like gene would have been in his uh younger than 10 reading that comic to see who's faster superman or the flash yeah can superman outrun the flash (laughs) the answer is no the flash is definitely faster he's superman's pretty fast but he doesn't have the speed force that the flash has now the fdr uh beating superman in a race is funny uh a because he's in a wheelchair b because he's dead 
<laughs> he's oh, dead yeah. after the war. He says this is after World War yes. II. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and also, uh, I showed you guys in the, the animatic, originally Marge asked if the dress made her bust look big. Yeah. And it sure does. It's, uh, uh, 2002, 2003, we're getting horny for Marge. Yeah. I was... Where we're paving the <laughs> runway to the Playboy issue she's in. Ooh. Well, yeah, Nina, I was going to ask, this is definitely a more shapely way of drawing Marge than she is normally drawn, right? Uh, I guess so. I mean, there's more um, definition to her, but I think proportionately she's about the same. Okay. Her uh, her boobs seem bigger to me in the shot. I, I wasn't yeah. looking there. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was indicating her hips, so I yeah, we should have been looking there. I just, again, I said it before, but the way Marge looks at Homer with like, like oh, you dear, it's like, it's such a funny drawing of her that is not on model uh and uh, then homer is also playing baseball with the kids uh he's just being the batting tee essentially (laughs) and the cut to him smashing the car with the bat is so funny like that's super silver mini too yeah just staring vacantly into space and he's smashing the car one-handed with a baseball bat behind him just (laughs) errantly hitting the car breaking random parts of it and bart's like me not notice which uh, it's the only line bart has in this episode or the this act so they then go to Marge, uh, dropping off uh, her groceries with Homer. Marge is so pleased that she whispers like, I'll let you. So we can only imagine what Marge is going to let Homer do. Uh, this is when Homer jumps the line uh, ahead of his clone and he's going to have sex with Marge <laughs> instead. Which, yes, that is, it does ask some consent questions a little bit, I suppose. But as far as Marge is concerned, either way she's having sex with Homer. But Marge, Homer is sort of tricking Marge into having sex with him on some level here. Yeah, but in more fu- a more fun thing to talk about, it's Homer strangling Homer, which that was apparently like a Silverman pitch to, do, and he just drew it of like, yeah, he they should strangle each other, and they're too evenly matched, which the dumb one says me concur. <laughs> I don't think we've gotten to Homer making out with Homer in a dream sequence. Have we gotten there yet, or is it coming up? It, okay, I think it's this se- season. Yeah. close to it. It feels like it's close. So these these are their fantasies are now uh, being achieved. <laughs> And also, it uh, Homer exits on suckers, which I feel like we haven't heard him do in a few episodes. They're more into the uh, the sh- shaking fist instead of the suckers exit line at this point. Homer also talks them out of a mutiny by saying, uh, I mean four, not three, <laughs> uh, to overwhelm him. Then we cut to an amazing shot of all of them working together on breakfast. Like, it's really good. Oh, looking. man, this shot, yeah. Looks hard to uh, coordinate. I know it had to. I, I that again feels like Silverman. There's good animation in the other two ones, but this is the real like show off. Like let's let's push this as far as it can go, kind of deal for sure. Like this feels on the level of a of a scene from the movie, like mm-hmm. of the the detail work in it and everything. And you know, I also think with Silverman back to draw the stupid Homers, they get to go back to the walleye Homer look, which they hadn't done in a while, like slack jawed and eyes just looking nowhere if only they had huge pupils as well macarini would be helicoptered in to shut it down shut down production <laughs> until the pupil sizes are reduced 20 percent. at least one of the clones could have had huge pupils mm. we see a bunch of them i know they're well, like slight differences that's so this is funny in the animatic i forgot to show that to you guys in the animatic too in the pan it's more obvious that they drew characters to look like season two homer season four oh, really? homer there are a couple of bigger pupil homers wow, that, that would have been in. great yeah. huh. it's there's only a couple that if you pause it you you and you're a mega nerd like us you'd say 
that season three homer they drew in there but <laughs> it's it's more obvious in the pan uh yeah they but i wish they'd have done more of it i agree homer is then uh asked to give back the chainsaw he stole to ned and he won't take a discover apparently a discover card is bad or seen as a lesser card in part because it often charges high fees for card acceptance to vendors so that's another reason people don't take discover now i could be wrong about this i'm sure someone will tell me if i am but i think discover is more for high risk credit people in that uh you may have to pay off your balance every month so if so, you have poor credit, yeah. then, okay, so if you have a Discover, then that means you've got bad credit and people should want to let you buy something. I see, this is just what I've heard, mm, and I, I will see. be corrected, I know, so <laughs> let me know if I'm wrong. I've never had a Discover. I don't know any friends who, in my retail days, it was rare indeed when a Discover card appeared. I definitely remember taking charge of a few, but I was still like, huh, Discover, I don't see that all that much. I would only see it on the door of a, an establishment saying, we don't take this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Get out. Uh, but all those ads, they were trying to say like, no, take Discover anywhere. We're great. But In my notes, I have Ned didn't say what he needs the chainsaw for, so I think it is to chop up the... Uh, homer corpse <laughs> and it it is such a great joke that homer nods at his this was my biggest laugh of watching it is the way homer nods to the dead-eyed clone of him holding up the chainsaw and then he comes back with ned's severed head <laughs> like the clone thought like oh you wanted me to kill ned with a chainsaw well i did it i pulled it off <laughs> yes ned is murdered off screen it's a great reveal <laughs> and this is where there is a really mean joke that they deleted from the episode that i, I showed you guys too <laughs> yeah it was the cut family guy joke that they mentioned on the commentary because Family Guy uh, had just been canceled a second time. So Family Guy was canceled in its second season in May of 2000. Fox started burning episodes off that summer of 2000, but then reversed the decision in July, gave it a third season, but then in May of 2002 was canceled again. Family Guy, not a popular show at all wow, in these early years. I didn't realize it, yeah. it got canceled so early on. Yeah, I forgot it was it was the year 2000. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I think Fox viewed it as just another. They're like, ah, eh, we tried to have another show and they, they just killed it. Like, I mean, around that time, they were killing everything in one season. Family Guy's, I mean, compared to, say, Firefly or a million other shows like that, Family Guy's lucky it got those couple second chances. That gave them enough episodes that made them worth licensing to Adult Swim to replay on Adult Swim, which helped it get reborn. And what what is the uh, the joke, though? I forget what it is. What so, does Marge say? So at the dinner table, or breakfast table, it's the same table that Marge has... <laughs> Marge asks Homer, what's on tap for the family guy? And Homer replies, don't ever call me that. Anyway, so. I yeah. will correct you and say the dinner table is not the same as the breakfast table in the Simpsons household. You're right. Yeah, man. that Mar joke is So flawed. Marge is wrong in that scene, yeah. too. That's right. Yeah, they, the, the, the story of Family Guy is interesting because it happened. that's happened more than a few times where reruns get a show so popular it comes back. Uh, I was just watching our friend uh, Pop Arena. I think this was part of their Nickelodeon Studios video. It might have been something else, but the research was that Rugrats reruns were the most popular thing on cable television, period. And Rugrats had completed its three seasons. That is why Rugrats came back and why there was a movie because they were like we have to make new ones this for whatever reason we didn't see this coming these these reruns are just the most popular thing ever we didn't know Rugrats would be this big it and it was, was after the show was canceled it was bonkers how huge it got and they and because yeah Nick Toons just moved on to a new thing they did you know 52 episodes I believe of every show and they're like well it's over we're not doing more
more than 52. But Rugrats did so well. They bring it back first for the Hanukkah special, and then they start working on the movie. Like the Klasky Chupo was doing pretty great in the mid-90s. Uh, but yeah, Family, it was the Family Guy got saved by Adult Swim reruns and the DVDs at the same time. Like they were just so huge that Fox decided we should... First they thought, oh, well, then let's just buy American Dad, a new cartoon from Seth MacFarlane. And then after they greenlight that, they're like, eh, screw it. Let's have, <laughs> let's have new Family Guy as well and uh, but yeah I, it's funny to hear on the commentary i think it's yardley brings up the family guy jokes and then al jean's a little sheepish because family guy is is now their friends or they're trying to patch things up and they're like hey al isn't this where we made a really mean joke about family guy <laughs> uh, yeah and i remember uh even people who hated the simpsons a lot at this time like me and people who made hating family guy their personality like me thought that uh yeah, you get them when they saw this family guy joke that's coming up. Yeah, I felt if I'd have seen this one of Homer being mad to be compared to the family guy, I'd have loved it then. One of my favorite jokes during the season is in the Sideshow Bob episode with the um, calling him a forgery or a, a ripoff artist as well. Yeah, the uh, but now I, you know, it's like, eh, I just don't have the energy to hate family guy. And Seth MacFarlane actually does seem to be a better boss than most uh, bosses. Yeah, there, there are so much worse shows. And when I see people still trying to get mad about family guy uh, in a very like active way, like, is this the year 2005? What's happening? <laughs> have you seen South Park lately? I also I just saw a I think it's relatively recent an episode of where Family Guy, uh, they do a joke of saying like Lois says, eh, we're not going to cross over with the Simpsons again. You know, what did that get us? I'll tell you what, more ink for the Simpsons. Huh. And then Peter replies like, yeah, look at the headlines. Simpsons uh, lowers itself into the gutter. Simpsons, like, it was a great joke about how doing the crossover didn't do crap for Family Guy. It just made the Simpsons look like uh, it just got more headlines for the simpsons i still haven't watched it don't nah. what? <laughs> that's what i heard yeah yeah don't do it until we reach it in a podcast in 12 years uh because it's like because also like they recorded this commentary in 2011 so they must have been maybe starting to plan the this the crossover doesn't come till 2014 and it was just them giving permission to family guy to do a crossover episode like it's not a simpsons episode it's a family guy episode the simpsons are in which uh, happens a lot their most recent they actually did another crossover just recently where that peter goes to the belcher restaurant from bob's burgers and homer's there too and <laughs> okay <laughs> and he orders a uh he, he orders a, a special and then he says oh that's only for emmy winners and then peter is forced <laughs> to order something else because family guy is still still not won an <laughs> emmy unlike bob's burgers and simpsons i think they wow. will eventually but harry shearer he sat that family guy episode out although he, he would sit everything out this was not because it was family guy he's like no, is this no. a main simpsons episode that's all i'm doing i'm not doing a video game i'm not doing uh voices for a skinner doll i'm not doing anything else you know i have seen the future armor crossover episode and i liked it it's been a while since i seen that one i did see somebody point out that like bender is uh, occasionally still drawn as being in their uh their the basement store oh really area. Yeah. that's cool <laughs> but but yeah so homer 
shocked, shocked at seeing Ned killed. And uh, you'd figure in a treehouse, Homer would be slightly more of an asshole and let him kill a couple more people. But Ned's death is when Homer decides to round them all up and basically recreate the uh, scene from the end of Casino of driving them out to <laughs> a cornfield to shoot them and kill them. They didn't make uh, the Homers dig their own graves, though. Yeah, yeah. Honestly... The only one Homer, this is nicer than Treehouse Homer normally is because he, comparatively to the Homer who's going to bash Bart with a mace for ruining his cloning machine or his teleporter machine, this Homer's like, he's only going to shoot the ones who know how to get home. He <laughs> won't shoot them all. You know, uh, even though this episode was way before this was released, but it actually reminded me more of Looper. Homer shooting himself out in the cornfield. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot that. It is That is very similar. The, the No time... Well, time travel's an act, too. No time travel in this one, but yeah. I refer to that film as a loopy movie. <laughs> Have you seen it? No. <laughs> I've not seen it. We've got to watch it. I just yeah. did a slow turn to Nina after saying that joke. <laughs> I was just staring at Bob. <laughs> you got to take it on the loop. You got to go on the loop. No, uh, Homer Homer telling them, come on. And then another guy raises his hand. And you just blast him with a <laughs> shotgun. I uh, mean, this is a very gun violence forward episode. Yeah. If, if blood exploded out of these clones, it wouldn't be funny. But uh, also, uh, Nina, and I, I ask you this, too, as a Simpsons artist, like how often is Homer drawn with a belly button? Because it's like it's not that he's not. But I when he looks at his stomach and sees no belly button, I'm like, how often is he drawn with one? It's like Homer's dot nipples aren't always drawn on either uh, when he's shirtless. No, the nipples and navel are always there. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I'm, af- pants- I'm afraid to type in Homer shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> like his pants don't go over his navel. Oh, okay. I see. All right. But it's the chest hair that goes in and out, right? Yeah. That's usually the- there isn't chest hair. Okay. Only in like, I don't know, season one or two. Oh, yeah, Henry. I'm looking at, I, I knew a scene with Homer shirtless. It's uh, It's the shark boy flashback and he's got nipples and a navel. Oh, well, okay then. Yeah. They didn't just make it up for this they, one. They yeah. never get rid of the nipples on uh, Simpsons. You know, my eyes are always drawn to Homer's nipples, I guess, and I never noticed you the navel on it. You love looking at the chest of characters, don't you? <laughs> uh, Did Mario just get nipples recently? Well, the history of Mario's nipples is an interesting topic. <laughs> oh, my God. But no, well, Are they fully rendered in I'll the Mario? I'll see myself out. Are, are they fully rendered in the Mario film? You know, I don't think he's shirtless in the Mario no, film. No, he's not. But in, in Super Mario Odyssey... Uh, he does have his swimsuit model of basically wearing like board shorts and nipples are on his uh, HD model. Bob, don't worry. They're going to make a sequel to that movie and we will see his nipples. We're going to see those nips. <laughs> I, you know, my, uh, my wonderful hubby, uh, Darren, he got me a, he actually got me a figurine of shirtless Mario recently. I'll show you guys. Oh, it's, uh, it's spicy. Wh- it is the nippled Mario. Interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but... But yeah, so Homer kills everybody, kills a few clones, chucks the hammock out the window, drives away. This is when the the clones decide they're going to create their own clones. And I like that one the one of the clones is smart enough to know to tie one end to a tree, but ties the other end to his own neck for the the Xerox effect. And this is where so in the animatic uh, I mentioned before in the multi Homer pan you can tell more like oh that's season two Homer, that's off model Homer, and there. 
there is no Peter Griffin in that joke. So mm. they I don't know when it came in, but in the animatic that's on the DVD that's dated January 20th, 2002, Peter Griffin is not in the animatic. In my peer group in amongst co-workers at the time, that was the one joke they would always talk about from this episode. I mean, because everybody hates Peter Griffin for, I mean, he is a Homer Simpson clone. Like he's just, he's Homer who's even stupider and meaner. That's pretty much what he is. It's it's always jarring seeing uh, someone with peach skin tone in the Simpsons universe. Because even when they brought Jay Sherman over, he was yellow. Yeah, the when the King of the Hill characters appeared, they they had the the pink skin for the one. Yeah, yeah that too. felt weird too. Yeah, it's uh, that breaks a rule. They should have to have you should be the yellow skin version of yourself if you're yellow, a Caucasian. Yellow skin and an overbite. Oh, I want to see the King of the Hill characters redesigned to be Simpsons characters. And Nina, you're the woman for the I job. I can do it. I can do it. They, they should have done that for that yeah. one gag. They oh should. man, that could go viral and oh, earn sure. you no money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and be put on T-shirts instantly that you'll oh, get no course. money for. Yeah. Nina, Nina knows a thing or two about going viral. She's, yeah, you're a superstar of, of, of virality. Uh, I'm sure someone has already done this. <laughs> but you do it better. I know. Uh, but yeah, so there's a long pan that also includes, uh, you've got King Size Homer in there. And then it ends on an Ullman era Homer saying the line he says from the football uh, short from the second set of shorts. And it is... It's in the animatic too. Silverman just drew it all himself because he knows how to draw Ullman era Homer. It's crazy to think that that Homer, when they drew it then, wasn't even 15 years old. Now it's like a 30, almost 35 year old Homer. Cause it, oh well, my I guess God. it is 35 because it's 88. Yeah. That short. Yeah. You so. know, I was looking this up to go back to Hank Hill and he appears again on Missionary Impossible during the pledge drive thing for Fox. And that is where their first real family guy slam happens. Like Betty White says something like cheap disposable programming and she walks in front of Peter Griffin. <laughs> and in the background, we see other Fox characters taking phone calls. Hank Hill is there, but he is yellow there. That's interesting. Right. He is yellow in that. Bender's on the lo- uh, the group too, isn't he? Yes, yeah. I think so. Sorry, I can't, I can't see from here. There Does he go. have the overbite? Uh, no, it's just the same character design, but they just gave him yellow skin. Okay, so that, that looks like, kind of weird, too. It feels more like an oversight than in, an intentional choice mm-hmm. to me. And uh, so the homers run wild. They eat uh, all of the food in a, uh, a giant corn patch. Then uh, it destroys Gil. Gil's like, well, at least I got my health. He then is eaten down to his bones. It feels uh, like his little skeleton groan was added after the fact. In when the, his, his head goes down, it's like, ah. In the animatic, he throws his hat on the ground as a skeleton in mm. anger. I, I kind of prefer his weak. I thought they were going to go um, harder on the horror in this one and have him start eating everyone else in Springfield. This and they is, didn't do that. This is a lot less blood than uh, than most other. Like this does not feel like a Merkin era of Halloween special. It could have been a lot meaner. Mm-hmm. Again, we're still cleaning up in New York City. Oh right, yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah, actually, that it, with that animated animatic dated at January twentieth, like yeah, it's less than five months after nine eleven. <laughs> they all run into a Duff factory. They then all take a piss behind the Duff factory as well. In the animatic, there's a sound of liquid being sprayed. In the aired version, no, we know that's a no no. And then uh, Homer is spreading like comedy clubs from the late eighties, and then this is when Lenny, uh, the, everything's destroyed except for Moe's. And this is when Lenny uh, says he'll cover for the Homers because anything for Homers. And we can reference Dana Gould again, who was performing in comedy clubs in the late 80s. Dana Gould. Yes. Yeah. He, he knows it. Uh, 
He knows it firsthand, the spread of them. So here's another joke that was lightened up from the animatic. When Marge is listing all the things that makes it clear that the Horde are Homer clones, she doesn't say rude to patty and selma she says they chainsawed patty and selma oh, oh wow <laughs> you know what I, I like the idea of the horde being rude to yeah. patty and selma this mindless horde that's just eating everything on their path but they stop just to be rude to patty and selma <laughs> i think it's funnier than just chopping them up into pieces yeah, yeah i think so too <laughs> but homer just replies like yeah it's a good group and he he does not admit his fault we cut back to the strange love war room which is this is like the third time they've parodied the strange love war room in the series i think i know sideshow bob's last gleaming was yeah. the big one you know well you know i'm getting it mixed up with in in deep space homer the their meet it has a meeting room for nasa but it doesn't look like the war room this mm. yeah you're right it's only it's only sideshow bob's last gleaming we get a kind of a dark joke about the uh the the Viet Cong, uh which you know again the invasion of iraq is nigh the new the new vietnam for everybody else uh, for our generation a new longer war to lose <laughs> Uh, more expensive all everything but but so homer reacts with out of dough to there being out of donuts not that he's horrified which that made me go kind of meh but that it gives lisa an idea to further the plot i do like that and they go straight from a strange love reference to an apocalypse now reference <laughs> like they're just hitting fast with these references yeah i mean a bit on the nose with the flight of the valkyries you see a helicopter fly the valkyries uh, fine but uh, mm. yeah but everybody, but Homer chasing all the giant donuts, that's funny. I like that. And <laughs> apparently Silverman wanted them all to fall into the gorge in the manner of Bart the Daredevil, but he said it would just take too much time. So they kind of do enough so you realize what the reference is. I, I didn't um, get the Apocalypse Now reference because I've, I've not seen the film and I don't know what scene it's parodying. Oh, all you need to know is that when a helicopter appears and you hear dun 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 it's from Apocalypse Now. Oh, okay. Yep. That's why whenever you see a helicopter, you always hear that music. <laughs> mm, <okay. laughs> you never don't hear Fly the Valkyries with helicopters now. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. I, I think you should watch, if I were to suggest it, I'd say even though there is a good director's cut, the scenes that are in it are like man this is too long i never i still prefer the original theatrical cut. isn't it a pretty long movie to begin with it is yes i yeah. prefer apocalypse wow <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah like i showed bob uh the guys and dolls movie where marlon brando is singing and then he showed me that clip from the critic in return <laughs> oh man it's uh... Maurice lamarche or whoever doing that impression is has way more energy than marlon brando and guys and dolls oh yeah <laughs> or or on the set of apocalypse now <laughs> uh so yeah the, the yeah the falls are fun and i like how when they come back marge again doesn't care about this math's death she's just like there's still some writhing and twitching but that should stop by morning <laughs> like nobody's disturbed by this at all uh but then we get a uh, a shocking reveal that no one could have seen coming thank you general that's a big relief the horde is almost dead there's still some writhing and twitching, but that should stop by morning. Good news. Mm. One handsome hubby is all I need. <gasps> no belly button? You're a clone. Then the real Homer. First over Cliff. <gasps> My homie's dead? How will I go on? You like back rub? Oh, well. And if you can't be the one you love, honey, love the one you win. 
we are in this era where they're always using licensed music and it makes me appreciate that as evil as the Disney company is, they retained all of it. Uh, because Nina and I have been watching a lot of uh, 90210 because friends of the show We Hate Movies have a 90210 miniseries called Melrose 210. It's on their Patreon. Check it out. It's great. But we noticed that when episodes aren't on Paramount+, Plus. It's because a character in the show sings a licensed song. Either it's karaoke, it's a joke, it's a performance within the episode. If it's something they can't replace with a library track, they just will not put it on streaming. But Disney probably paid $30,000 just <laughs> for that eight seconds of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Mm-hmm. It's the downfall of so many shows. I'm glad Simpsons is big enough to do it. But you would think like, I mean, no, I, uh, 90210 or Melrose Place reruns are not as powerful on streaming uh, uh, draws as Simpsons. So I can see why they don't spend the money on it. But and these, still. these DVDs sold so well that they never had to worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. And it all, unlike other DVDs, like, like say the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, nobody was going to pay to license the incredibly popular songs that appeared on that. Like, like Thriller or something. Yeah. They removed all the, the like music from the backgrounds of um, 90210 and Meryl's Place and replace them with like absolutely terrible like fake music from different eras that didn't exist yeah yet. yeah like because yeah. you would think with like 90210 they'd stick to music that sounds like it's from that era but no it all sounds like it's from like the 2000s which yeah, makes no sense it's you'll see that oh this opening song used to be uh u2 or something and it's replaced by a sum 41 sound alike oh that's terrible I, I don't watch the uh i haven't really watched baywatch in a very long time but i've heard uh i've watched a podcast or on youtube about how the Baywatch went through the same thing. Like, it was full of licensed songs. And even though Baywatch was one of the biggest things ever, they still were like, we're not paying for that Beach Boys song. We're just going to make up a new song for this scene. I'm sure you watched Baywatch because you like looking at chests. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you was, learned yeah. in this episode. I, there are so many great chests in that show for both both genders. No, no. But I'll, I'll admit it. I wa- the, the Baywatch podcast I watched was about the several episodes of Baywatch where pro wrestlers were on it. And mm. I... And I watched it on a plane, one of them, and the and it's hosted by a woman. This podcast, but she's they constantly are talking about how like oh my god, look at this shot of like Pamela Anderson in this episode. The camera is was not is is leering at her. But I have headphones on and I'm watching it watching it on a plane, and I feel it, it hits me while I'm watching it. Like the person next to me thinks I'm just watching like a supercut of the sexiest scene <laughs> to Pam Anderson on Baywatch, and I fear I'm creeping out the the woman sitting next. I, to me. I had similar concerns when i was playing fallout new vegas on my steam deck on a flight and just exploding dogs left and right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah but oh also there was an episode of baywatch where they had on little richard as a guest and they hacked away all his scenes because he sings songs in him and they play little richard songs so uh yeah it's uh, but meanwhile simpson's big enough to keep all their songs and uh, i i like that al jean even with hacky song choices is costing Disney lots of money. Mm-hmm. I like that. I'd also say this, you know, look, there have been many Simpsons Treehouse segments that end with this crazy twist ending. Eh, you know what? I accept it and it's better, but they shouldn't do two in the same episode. That's that. Uh, I don't yeah. think act three should have the same ending. It's, it's, a, it's a nice cheat to end your segment on a, a fun, weird reality destroying blackout gag but it does get kind of repetitive though of course this is more anti-wife comedy here <laughs> just like that uh, wives just want a husband that'll give her back rubs she doesn't care about the man she married it should have been foot rubs we know this <laughs> oh yeah uh, you know positioning wise it's easier for homer to just get behind her and mm-hmm. rub her back 
Well, Marge gets her back scratched in the third story oh, at the very end. So that's true. It's kind of a bookend. <laughs> Marge likes, uh, she has a, a, a back that hurts and she needs help with it. And like an extra Homer is shot at the end of the second segment. That's right. Yeah. Man, there's a lot of connecting these. But... So that was Send in the Clones. That was Mark Wilmore segment. This one is uh, called The Fright to Creep and Scare Harms. Now, as someone who liked to get really mad about The Simpsons in 2002, I thought, they're not even trying with these names but then later i realized like oh it's supposed to be like a crypt keeper kind of thing and i do appreciate this i, I like how sweaty it is yeah yes i i love it i lo- i also love hearing that they they did it just to entertain josh lieb one writer on the show at the time yeah brian kelly i believe is the uh, the writer for this one he did that i gotta say brian kelly is doing a Schwartzwelder impersonation on this entire act mm-hmm. like this is such there's so many episodes in this time as, as Schwartzwelder's pulling back that just feel like oh this is just a writer trying to do a Schwarzwelder thing like, oh yeah he would have loved writing this for the longest time like uh, I if you'd asked me oh who wrote this segment I'd have just guessed Schwarzwelder like it's full of impossible things and constant gun violence and cowboys also like, his name's on a tombstone all right yeah man and and also it's about telling lisa she's wrong for believing yeah, in something yeah yes yeah i guess hey why don't i play the jingle now but since it's the entire point of the segment take that lisa's beliefs <laughs> <laughs> yeah and this really feels like a 90s chunk of writing in which uh, they did this a lot back then and i don't know if they still do it today where the joke is we gave you the worst moral possible and that's why it's funny we don't believe this but now i think people are a little more careful with this kind of comedy because they realize like oh people think we're being sincere and we don't want people thinking we endorse these ideas satire is dead exactly there's a famous t-shirt you can buy (laughs) that says that that nina has created nina also did our our spookiest t-shirt which is a shirt for a jingle we no longer play out of uh, sense of better taste but but shows i love like strangers with candy that was the entire point we're going to do a fake morality play and then give you the worst moral at the end but Everything is so cartoonish and outlandish, you realize you don't want to be like any of these people. But then we eventually realize viewers of TV are often not savvy enough to realize that. (laughs) Yeah, like think of the worst take possible and there's tons of people who believe it. Yeah. They all think it's very, I mean, too, the more you, I, I feel like social media killed it as well because people would write, the comedy writers would write stuff as obvious as this or say like the Colbert rapport on that the the Stephen Colbert character he was playing and then you get on social media like Facebook or Twitter and you see people thinking I agree with this guy finally somebody's talking sense like no satire is obvious enough for some people to get it and you I I get that a lot of writers probably feel like well, it's irresponsible to let people not get it, and you need to. Uh, sadly, though, being overt is not as funny uh, most of yeah. the time. To just actually say, I mean, I hate when I have to compose a tweet where it's I have to waste like ten words on. <laughs> of course, I do not believe this, or and yes, Donald Trump is a horrible person, or what? <laughs> you just have to make these clear statements just so you're and not. Then, then they ignore them anyways. Yes, exactly. So and, just don't don't try. <laughs> and I don't want to go over this too much but the baggage clinging on to the segment is 20 years of gun 
massacres and especially uh, children are the most vulnerable uh, and a little girl who wants to stop guns is proven wrong and it, it doesn't hit the same in 2023. We were just yep. covering uh, Toy Story 3 and I was thinking, boy, all these kids should have clear backpacks. Uh, I, I feel like the toys should be on guard at this school, you know, locking the doors, watching out for these kids. We did pitch an idea in which Toy Story 5, the toys stop an active shooter in the school. <laughs> Uh, sadly, I think it would put a lot of kids' minds at ease because they have to go through these horrible drills, these active shooter drills. And I can't imagine living with that fear as yeah. a little kid. If anyone says kids today have it too easy, uh, imagine what's happening to them in, in their schools. You know, our parents had to grow up with, you know, uh, nuclear bomb scare drills and stuff. That would, ne- I mean, it probably did scare them, but it never was really going to happen. Or if it happened once, that's the only time it would ever happen. If you're going through active shooter drills, you can imagine, like, this might happen twice in my life. Like, this this will happen more than once the it, rest of my life. It felt like there were only eight relative years of child safety, and that's when uh, Nina, Henry, and I were all children. That is between the fall of communism and Columbine. It was the only time where you felt safe in a school. It's like, well, you're not going to be doing uh, nuclear bomb drills drills and you're also not going to be doing active shooter drills there was a, a real comfy eight years we grew up in didn't we yeah it's again this is why we're obsessed with also 9-11 as well on the show because it's such a perfect like oh shit's not fun anymore i don't want to talk about this too much it's, yeah. it's, it's too depressing yeah sorry. i just wanted to say uh this story it's a lot like uh lisa's wish in the monkey's paw halloween segment and the consequences of it they just took that idea and extended it yeah even the gun return thing like is the same yeah you're right it actually is very very similar to just yeah, like it's like if we minutes. take away all the weapons, then what will happen if someone who uh, has weapons and, tries and to attack us? Instead of aliens, it's Old West zombies and Kaiser Wilhelm. <laughs> I, you know, I do, again, it's like this is satirizing it, and ultimately they agree with what we agree with on that there is too much gun violence in, in America and something should be done about it. But when you do formulate a story of like, here's why guns are needed, and if you didn't have guns, you can't protect yourself from a bad guy, I feel on some level they sort of agree with that. I think somebody kind of agrees with that, like at least a little bit. Mm. But well, that's that's the John Schwartzwelder opinion, I guess. Yeah, that's bleeding through here. If they're trying to emulate John Schwartzwelder, you have to emulate his conservative opinions as well. I think when I first watched this too, I conflated it with, I didn't realize how production on TV worked at the time, but I conflated it with like Bowling for Columbine was coming soon. Like it was, I, I looked it up. It was a, it had like a con debut in May, but it, it had its American wide release in the fall of 2002. So I was like, oh, this is what everybody's talking about now. Like Bowling for Columbine came at the same time. Though I think definitely what happened was that they heard the early 2000 Charlton Heston speech famous for a cold dead hands line and they work backward from that I think I think that was the inspiration oh yeah oh yeah totally that you can easily get zombie from that mm-hmm. that little quotation <laughs> if you're trying to spin it into comedy I mean he's close to a zombie anyway when he's saying those lines anyway but yeah this and also this episode did feel a little bit like more of their South Park envy from the time like the way they're attacking this but the last little flaw I have in it is that this is supposed to be Lisa's segment and then they just hand the story to homer like lisa should solve this problem this is a lisa segment yeah and she's just proven wrong yeah ultimately uh, ultimately it's about daddy tells lisa she's wrong there's not even it's not even one homer it's two homers (laughs) yeah so so yes uh lisa 
embarked Barry Goldie the Goldfish, who died sometime in between the summer break of The Simpsons, between August and uh, October. And also this inciting incident with a dead pet in a cemetery. Not unlike the inciting incident in Dial Z for Zombies as well. Hmm. Uh, but, uh, this is when they happen upon a, uh, a grave and not to spoil it folks, but this is the accurate death date and age for Billy the Kid. It's the, it's the real, uh, uh, ages for him. And these are all celebrities for Nina who loves Westerns. So Lisa is inspired seeing that line. And even I did in, even in 2002, I was like, uh, he's not a boyfriend. He's a boy who happens to be my friend. I was like, eh, that's such a played out joke. I, I guess mean, they had the word dead in there to, to mix it up a bit. I suppose I changes it a little. Did you know who he was when the, the name? Compared? No, 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 no. I think most people don't know Billy the Kid's real name. Mm-mm, no, I, uh, I, I only on Googling afterwards, like, oh, they were playing it straight with this. Like, I mean, mm. if you ask me to like name a famous cowboys, probably Billy the Kid, I'd say it eventually. But uh, no, I, I forget if he was on Deadwood or not. A lot of uh, on the Deadwood TV series, a lot of famous cowboys came through town. Well, uh, last podcast on the left had a great maybe four or five part series on Billy the Kid, and I believe his birth name was henry oh so he was faking a bit wow so henry mccarty i should learn more about this guy as a fellow henry <laughs> uh you just watch young guns oh that 88 right. movie with I, um emilio Estevez. i've never seen that one the, uh, uh it's okay i gave it like <laughs> 2.5 stars on letterbox uh okay billy the kid did not appear on deadwood uh, according to my quick google search here but so lisa decides that she is going to campaign against gun violence after seeing this and uh she's uh this was another bit where i was like oh i think this is the testing the waters because the signs are so clearly digital write-ins after i wonder if this was their test of like okay can we just leave these blank spaces how natural will it look if we want to write the uh, sign gags as late as possible it bothers me how the text does not conform to the the draping of the banner oh yeah the big red one yeah 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 the text is just like exists in a different dimension Mm -hmm. it's sort of like floating in front of it if it it was hand drawn i don't think it would have looked like that yeah yeah i feel like that one could have at least been hand drawn like the the protest signs those are cute like i think my favorite is conceal love not firearms Mm. that's a funny line i I mean the show uh, al gene loved his rewrites and last minute editions and i think the digital technology allowed him to do that more but now i'm thinking because of the writer's strike, uh, that is considered writing, obviously, doing post-production uh, writing. And uh, as of this recording, Futurama was just announced. So whatever step of post-production they're in, they can't do any more writing. It has to be locked in now. Yeah. yeah I think... And I don't know if they'll make it worse or better. I think there's a lot of productions that uh, expected this was coming, the, the strike was possible, and so they got a lot of things to be locked in ahead of time. I bet Futurama is one of those. But yeah, I mean, we've seen showrunners that were being compelled to get back on staff to do the showrunning thing, but uh, like, say, the the executive producer of Andor didn't do it because he says, like, well, no, this is writing. Like, it's not it's not just managerial stuff. When you are showrunning a show through final production, anything you add to it is writing, and that is breaking the WGA strike rules. Yeah, I was also reading, and this is getting slightly off topic, certain movies like Quantum of Solace happened during the writer's strike, so 
it was like, hey, Daniel Craig, uh, what would James Bond think about this? <laughs> yes. Oh, no wonder that movie sucked. Yeah, yeah, it was a big reason why. Same with that X-Men Origins Wolverine was another oh, one man. It's It is so bad. I've seen that movie too many times <laughs> because I lived with someone who loved that movie. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, uh, in, in my opinion, the worst Wolverine movie. <laughs> like, it's bad, but it's kind of a fun bad to watch, I think. I liked, I thought the blob fight was all right, but the what a waste of Gambit. I had been waiting to see Gambit in a movie for so long, and he, he is so oh, crummy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Canadian actor. Wow, Canadian actor playing the Bayou Zone <laughs> Gambit. And, and then um, he played the lead in John Carter. Oh, He's much better in that. Okay. Yes. Man, that guy, that's right. He was like the star of like five giant bombs in a row. Yeah, and like really he's in... bad luck. He's he's good actor though, I think. I hope he saved his John Carter money for- uh, All that John Carter money. <laughs> uh, that moon money or Mars money. Good, good movie, by the way. It is like um, unfortunate that it bombed so badly, like very awfully advertised. I did not give it a chance, that they, but it was one of those movies that did so poorly, Disney just bought Marvel. They're like, ah, forget it. We'll oh, so you haven't seen Marvel. it yet? No, no, I haven't seen it either. Oh, yeah. I got I to show Bob. <laughs> At some point. It's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll have a lot of time for that movie. In our new condo. That's yeah. right. New condo forever. <laughs> uh, no one else is doing it with me. Okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Okay. It's hard to, I got I to get the, my The microphone's in the way. Like, yeah. Now, unlike the real world, in Springfield, when a child says we need to ban guns, people listen. They don't say, you're part of the deep state yes yeah they don't they don't say that like you're being child trafficked and you yeah they oh boy i mean yeah what's frustrating about this is everybody agrees with lisa as soon as she does it and i don't want to have these thoughts and feelings but we just exist in the year 2023 i, I apologize yeah it's like look it's not our fault but yeah lisa's lisa's speech here makes more sense than ever today i dream of a world without guns don't we all, William? Lisa has a dead boyfriend. He's not my dead boyfriend. He is a dead boy who happens to be my friend. Mr. Bonnie, I am going to make your dream come true. If not for guns, poor William Bonnie might have become a doctor or a senator. A frustrated novelist. <laughs> sure. The point is, let's stop the madness and ban guns now. <laughs> Girls, right. I'm sorry. I can't live without passion. <laughs> That's a good line. I like that too. But he can't live. He's he is okay with getting rid of the guns, but he just he can't live without passion. <laughs> and apparently, this uh, was a thing in L.A. This turning in your guns for money program that actually happened and that's yeah. what they're parodying here the buyback program yeah yeah in uh in canada in 2020 uh there was a big mass shooting in nova scotia and trudeau our prime minister immediately banned like 1500 models of assault style weapons uh mostly semi-automatic guns which has been con contested a little bit because there's no official definition for assault style but they are working on a buyback program they just need to figure out how much they're willing to buy the guns for and how, yeah. how much they have in the budget for that Interesting. Wow, I didn't know. So that. it is happening in Canada, man. Well, and I'm sure everybody in Canada loves Justin Trudeau for that very thing, <laughs> right. He's treated very nice. Well, the conservatives say he's essentially Hitler. Yes. Yeah. No, <laughs> of course. I, sounds like he's. Uh, I I only know things about Justin Trudeau from listening to our friends on the uh, Mike and Us podcast. Well, I understand. As soon as I cross the border, they'll put me in chains. <laughs> <Yes>. Metaphorical <laughs> chains. Trudeau is not perfect. 
but he's better than a lot of politicians, I gotta mm-hmm. say. It seemed like he was really... Mar- I, the best time for his marketing in the U.S. was right after Trump's election. Like, he was really... Everybody was pushing, like, oh, look, north of the border, how great this other guy is. Like, we... Well, don't we wish we still had the... And I feel like it was... Like his first visit to America to meet with Trump, there were a ton of like, didn't he like Trudeau did one thing that people were like, oh, how sassy he really showed Trump of like not shaking his hand at some point or something. But well, I'm not voting for him (laughs) because because I can't. Well, maybe you can vote. Someday you'll be able to vote for like uh, his son for the next generation of Trudeau to be PM there. You don't vote for a person, though, in Canada. All you right. vote for the party. Yeah, okay. You're going to have to explain multi-party uh, voting to him because it makes no sense to us in America. It's I don't like, have to because he can't vote. Uh, it's it's sort of like in Valkyria Chronicles when you, you level <laughs> up the classes and not the individual characters. <laughs> Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, uh, but yes, they do the gun buybacks. There's a good joke of him saying, "Not so tough without your gun, are you, Snake?" Slap. Ow. Oh, I guess you are. That's what I like about this job. You learn stuff. I, I like that Wiggum takes away a nugget of wisdom from that encounter. I will say there are fewer shootings in Canada, but there's a lot of stabbings. Mm-hmm. Still got to watch out for the knives. You can run from a stabbing. Mm-hmm. And also, I'll take my chances with a knife. And you can't like in in two seconds stab a, a hundred people. There's also like you can't just yeah well, unless you're the Tasmanian devil. Let's talk <laughs> about true. it. The, the thing with knives though, it's it's silent. Mm, yeah, that's true. That's true. You you could and sneak around like silently stabbing a hundred people and just saying. Sounds like people should be having guns to defend themselves. From all these <laughs> that's <Tasmanian> right. <laughs> this the, is what I'm saying, people. Shoot the knives out of people's hands. <laughs> uh, uh, what we want pictures to know the most is that they're never safe. You know, never. Except uh, when you're in your house listening to our podcasts. Lock the door, but lock the door. <laughs> hey, yeah, that was, speaking of bowling for Columbine, that was one of those things, like, there's an entire, like, Canada's so great section of that movie, and he says, he, he alleges in it that people in Canada don't lock their doors. Is this, uh, how true is that or not, Nina? I'd say experience? that's true in my experience. Really? Yeah, I actually, I remember watching that, like, a long time ago and thinking, like, oh, in America, everyone locks their front doors? Like, I didn't know that. And I was, like, I was surprised to see that it was a surprise to him. It was it was news to me too as well. I've I've seen enough true crime stuff where I know like most serial killers just walked in an open door mm. that wasn't locked. Really, and I, I I catch myself locking your deadbolts when I visit. Yeah, that really um, annoys me because I'm like opening the door and suddenly the the deadbolt like I uh, come slams it closed from America. <laughs> what what do you think is gonna happen in my apartment? Uh, I'm on uh, the top floor. Lots of things could happen. <laughs> you gotta leave some of your American paranoia behind when you move. Uh, it'll take a lot of therapy. Yeah, it can't just stop at the border, unfortunately. <laughs> so they're giving away all their guns for money, including uh, Maggie has a giant sp- stockpile of guns, which makes sense because in the last episode we did, <laughs> she shot a bunch of people with her hidden shotgun. Uh, or no, it's a rifle. It's yeah. A rifle. Yeah. This doesn't even like come across like a, a joke anymore because you see like those crazy family photos where they show their huge gun collection and like all the kids have their own little gun collection. Yeah, I know. Like it's, it's madness. The, the joke that Bart has a giant box of guns. It's like, yeah, he would. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I've you. seen it. Uh, and but then, I do like Mr. Blasty. That Mr. Blasty is cute. It's a cute little gun. Uh, and then uh, the the silliest thing for the real world to me is that the cops would ever disarm in America, like ever. That would never ever happen. Uh, this is when we learn that Eddie has enormous genitals. Uh, which this is a treehouse, so does it truly count? But also, it's Lou. 
oh sorry it's lou i get i mixed we don't up. know eddie's genitals or if they spawned nelson i think kevin <laughs> needs to write a note to himself on his hand <laughs> oh yes lou huge dick <laughs> eddie his dick size unknown <laughs> who's who's is bigger lou's or ned's i wonder in mm. a penis competition but oh, now you're looking at the groin Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I <laughs> I can't stop thinking about these things, these cartoon characters. Uh, but so they announced that they have got all the guns. Uh, they've turned them into slides. Ralph slides down a bunch of gun, a slide made of guns that almost shoots him in the head, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Uh, and uh, they, really good design in those, by the way. That had to be extra, a, a, a real hard one for the background designers. The level of detail. I think those. so. Yeah, the guns aren't melted down enough, so you can just see barrels and uh, other gun parts. I only know barrels, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's it's not up there. It's not as detailed as the squirrel house, but it's close. Stocks, it. hilts. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. Sca- scabbards? Uh, sure. Uh, Help me out. Boy. I, I haven't uh, gone to a shooting range in a long time. I forgot. Safeties. There. I named one more. There you go. <laughs> but this I, is- I did notice, though, that when Eddie and Lou uh, had in their guns, the uh, the hammer was drawn back on the revolvers. Yeah. Which is oh, weird. That's dangerous. It is. You know, when Homer hands over Mr. Blasty that's going to be shooting angels in heaven, he is holding it the safe way. His finger's not through the trigger. He has his finger uh, drawn over it. Good. Yeah. Trigger yes. discipline? Yeah. yeah. Trigger discipline. Yeah. yeah, I I do always watch for that whenever people like draw people with guns, like holding guns, or if they're posing with a fake gun or whatever. I always look for that uh, trigger discipline. I see. Uh, yeah, I I only learned about that from. There was some some right wing crazy person had a photo of like at the gun range to trigger libs and people were telling like this is incredibly unsafe. Your fingers through the loop. You shouldn't be mm-hmm. doing that. It's yeah. important. Uh, and so this is when they pronounce the town utterly defenseless. If only poor William Bonnie were here to see his dream come true. Oh, but I am. William Bonnie? Better known as Billy the Kid. Looks like the only guns left are in my cold, dead hands. Now I'd like you to meet the the hole-in-the-ground gang, Frank and Jesse James. (gasps) The Sundance Kid. (gasps) What happened to Butch Cassidy? What happened to Butch Cassidy? We're not joined at the hip, you know. And the most evil German of all time. Kaiser Wilhelm. Uh-huh. He ain't no cowboy. Sure I am. Yippee, whippy, whippy. Okay, he's in. Now let's rob the bank, give the money to the poor, then rob the poor and shoot the money. <laughs> that does feel like John Swartzwelder wrote it, doesn't it? Totally. Rob the poor and shoot the money. That absolutely feels like a Schwarzwelder life, yeah. as does the appearance of Kaiser Wilhelm feels very Schwarzwelder. The fact that all the men were buried with their horses in Springfield. <laughs> and uh, I also love the little joke where the most evil German who ever lived is not Hitler. Yes, yeah. Because I guess he's Austrian, but you expect them to say Adolf Hitler, right? Yes, I know. Yeah, yeah you're, you're all supposed to think Hitler. Yeah. Do you think maybe they wrote in Hitler at first? Ooh, maybe. Maybe they punched it up. Graining doesn't yeah. like Hitler jokes, too. Yeah. So. Um, and I, I was looking that that uh, that Cold Dead Hands thing up. It was especially addressed to uh, Al Gore in May of 2000, because uh, I'm sure even Heston thought, well, naturally, he's the next president. This mm. is how it's going to work. 
That's right, yeah. Which, again, they thought the the foolish thing on his part, too, was thinking that even if Al Gore got elected, he'd actually do anything substantial about gun control. Like, would not happen. <laughs> and he was holding a rifle as he said that part of the speech to show it off. Like, this is what you're not taking from me. All right, now I'm seeing it. For I mean, I only saw that clip probably just on The Daily Show and in the, the Bowling for Columbine movie of the, the shot of it, which they did. And I mean, didn't they even do it, like, basically on the dead bodies of the kids of columbine like which uh, not like literally but they people were i felt like it too was a response to like you guys maybe should lighten it up with the gun talk after columbine and like no way harder than ever and charlton heston's gonna say it i also like that definitely the first time i watched it my when they said the sundance kid my first thought was like where's where's butch cassidy and then to know that the biggest dorks in the world would say that they're like comic book guy is going to be the one to say hey where's uh, where's Butch Cassidy <laughs> just to know that like you're a lame-o like comic book guy if you're wondering where Butch Cassidy is great movie by the way I need to I watch it. it I gotta it's watch fun. it before Duffless to understand the 10 second reference yeah yeah it's, it's a fun scene it does not belong in the movie at all mm. <laughs> it's, it's kind of random but uh it's it's fun I uh, that was when I watched in my youth because of all the Simpsons references. Oh, like, really? Yeah, yeah. It's like I finally had to do it, but and I love that movie too. Yeah, it's been it's been a while since I seen it. I'll probably watch it again wherever it's at by the time we get to Duffless in about eighteen months. Yeah. This episode, uh, though, full of great animation, especially in this scene coming up, uh, Barney being kicked out and lassoed in twice. And then all of the piano playing and the celli playing that is perfectly timed out to the music. Yeah, like the fingering in the piano was perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, Nina, you you have some experience with piano, but do, do you yeah. have experience with piani? Uh, no, I, I wish I learned how to play that kind of music. Well, I just stuck to the the Royal Conservatory program, so it's all just classical music. So, so I did play for Elise, as uh, uh, Homer did. So you, Everyone who learns piano has to learn that song at some point. You know, I looked it up at one point in my life, maybe a few years ago. I was like, what does fur... Is it Elise? Elise, yeah. Okay, I was oh. like, what does fur Elise mean? I it means Elise. Uh, what's that? I think it's Elise. Okay, what does fur Elise mean? It means for Elise. Like, here you go, Elise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did this for you. I didn't know that yeah, until exactly. maybe a few years ago. It's a pretty straightforward name. Yeah. <laughs> I love Homer playing the ragtime. It's so fun how he's, uh, when it's peony. And, and yeah, also great animation too on them shooting up everything in the bar. Like, though, of course, now, I mean, yes, I've, we're just going to say it a bunch of times, but seeing a bunch of guns being shot in a bar also is just like ugh, it's 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 upsetting now as well i don't i almost said the word triggered but i guess it is it is triggering as well but yeah it's like ugh, boy yeah there lots of mass shootings happen in bars uh in, in america but i guess it's really everywhere mm -hmm. it's like they could have put it in a mall and it's like no that'd be in a mall too but. oh yeah you're not safe anywhere here i uh, yeah i was mugged with a gun yeah, yeah. It wasn't a fun zombie cowboy. <laughs> these, it was just two guys. These cowboy designs are the zombie designs are great of like their missing noses and their their zombie horses. Like this is some good zombie art here. Mm -hmm. And uh this is when Homer well basically they hand the story to Homer when really I feel like to write this at its best plot wise, Lisa should solve the problem instead of Homer. That's piano! I said piano. You play the celli. You sing a song about cattle rustling. And you sing one about uh, robbing banks. 
Calf's in the field, so you sneak up slow. Grab him by the tail and go, man, go. Break into the bank and snatch that dough. Please don't hurt our family. Mark, let me do a solo. This could be my big break. I very much doubt that, Homer. These are horrible ghouls from the past. Hey, so are the Grammy judges. <laughs> but I'm cheap. Yeah. And there's another really like uh, Statler and Waldorf line in the next segment where like House of Pain, this must be where you pay the bill. <laughs> yes. And then someone is immediately grabbed. <laughs> I, yeah, you're right. It's it's the same back to back. I I also like a mean. I mean, I like a mean joke at the Grammy judges, but it's even funnier how Marge says, "I highly doubt that Homer." Like, <laughs> what a great way to to doubt Homer's uh, idea there. I feel like these corny lines are pitched in the writers' room, and they're like, "Ugh, let's just." Put it in there and then point out how corny it is if homer is yanked off screen then it allows us to do a corny joke but and get away with it mm-hmm. and by the way those horrible ghouls from the past voted uh for u2's walk on as record of the year in the 2002 grammys oh. cannot name a single goddamn song walk on walk on walk record on. of the year okay. oh i guess record of the year is I, I know there's a difference i i don't want to know what the difference is but album of the year was oh brother where art thou oh okay yeah well, that I think that uh, this was right after Beautiful Day uh, one. I remember that one, some Grammys. Simpsons have never won a Grammy. Maybe that's also why they're mean to the Grammy judges, because they've never won one. But uh, What are they going to win for? The Sing the Blues? I mean, honestly, like it wouldn't, it would be no, that album is no worse than other things that have won the Grammy yeah, in that category. You have a point. You yeah. have a point. Not that it's like, but yeah, I think, uh, but yes, Bob famously uh, does not know U2 songs very well. Nina, Nina has tried. Has, has there been any progress, Nina, in teaching Bob U2 songs? No. No? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Only if they have the name of the song is also many of the lyrics in the song. Then I'll know it. <laughs> They're very direct with their titles, for sure. Yeah, but uh, see, how Homer gets grabbed. He's given the time machine to fix things by Frank. Frank also, his main job in any treehouse is just to hand somebody a uh, piece of technology that saves a problem or causes a problem. But uh, he's handed a time machine and he, he, honestly, his teleport back isn't dissimilar to the one from when he travels back in time in uh, Treehouse uh, 5. Yeah, time and punishment. What's weird about this, and I know they have four minutes to tell a story, is that when Homer goes back a few days ago, there should be another Homer there. Yeah, you're right. They should have double Homers in that. But I think because they had more than one Homer in uh, (laughs) Sending the Clones... They, they just didn't want to write a scene where Homer has to stop himself also. Yeah, I, yeah, that's probably it. I, I do like, too, though, his the teleporting animation where it's like him in a spiral. That's really well done. I think that's some good stuff. This time machine looks a lot like the, the toaster. It does. Yeah, they, uh, basically, they put, just put a clock on top of it to look like. And it's a handheld single person thing to travel back in yeah. time. And then Frank just says what the plot of that episode is, which is, I hope he doesn't change anything in the past that affects the present. In this case, it for some reason gives him a uh, egg beaters for hands, which that also feels very Swartzwaldery kind of choice. Now, Henry, in the world of kitchen tools, that is a hand mixer. Oh, a hand mixer. Egg beaters are different. Okay, well, see, I, I think I, I think I you might be I think you might be thinking about of a whisk. Oh, of a whisk. I see. Yeah, you're right. What I, do you think, Nina? Is that a hand mixer? 
Yeah, I would yes. say so. Though you ma- can use it to beat eggs. I wouldn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't want to mix and match. So Homer heads back. He says, hear me, people of the past. Uh, hey, everyone, that's us. That's a good line. But Homer talks everybody into pulling out all of the guns. Everybody is armed and they are marching down the street. The animation of the entire like town with guns, like that is really well done and highly detailed for, I wonder if that was them, uh, Silverman also wanting to push the digital as far as they can. Like, can we get that level of detail on a giant mob all mm. holding distinct guns and being specific characters? But they pulled off pretty good. And uh, then everybody is shooting zombies in their graves, which is also quite silly. <laughs> just the constant shooting is very funny in all throughout this segment yeah i honestly i feel bad playing the clips of it though of just like li- listeners don't want to hear gunshots in their ears when they're walking around in public places i feel like <laughs> oh but, yeah <laughs> but, good point uh but yes this is where uh lisa learns the lesson that she is wrong Another tragedy prevented by gun violence i guess guns really are the answer Hear me, people of Springfield! I come from yet another distant future where gun violence has destroyed the very Earth itself! What is this, open mic night? Ha! Now to get me some caveman hookers! You know what? It would have been much better if it was just, what is this, open mic night? Cut to black. <laughs> that caveman hookers thing is, I think I pulled that in Cards Against Humanity once in my oh, life. That's, yeah, it's, to me, I thought it was like, that's a quagmire line, if yeah. any line has ever been said. So, you know, that, that part reminded me that I actually once penciled a story for The Mighty Moses Like Number One, which was a one-shot comic issued by Bongo. And the story I penciled was about Mo and Barney time traveling, and they do get uh, cavewoman girlfriends. Whoa! Wow. So we finally we finally got to see it on the page, thanks to your art. Wow. Although he says caveman hookers, so Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's huh. You're right. He shouldn't he say cavewoman? I guess. They, I don't treating, know. <laughs> they're treating caveman as a genderless term, I guess. I'm yeah. sure the writers debated this. Yeah, yeah. Should he say cavewomen or cave people? Cave people wouldn't be funny sounding. It's just like referring to vampires as Draculas. It's just funnier. Yeah. And caveman is the shortest, so it gets him to the it gets him to the funny word sooner, which is of course hookers. I'm laughing. I'm laughing now. (laughs) See, I prefer this. This feels more like the Scully Aramo, who is horny in a creep a creepy horny guy has sex with dead women we've had jokes like that on the show i prefer a mo who never has sex and is miserable not mm-hmm. one who um uh, wants to <laughs> circumvent uh ways of having sex with people i don't know the nicest way to say this how they wrote Mo. there's a joke with a giant roofie yes i mean that's <laughs> that's was just two years ago yeah we didn't write it <laughs> we're only reporting on it and again that's that's the bailiwick of quagmire you know yeah. i i don't want to see mo reach the level of quagmire well quagmire is now uh dead so they have to pick up the torch <laughs> that's true until he comes back in 2005 uh, and uh, wait quagmire died well, no, Family Guy is dead, so oh, okay. they're like, oh, there's a gap for all of these sexual assault jokes on Fox TV. <laughs> well, there's an opening. It's time for, uh, uh, you know what, I'm not going to say, uh, I was going to say time for Mo to enter that opening there, but I shouldn't say that. No. There's, there's God, you're such a pervert today. Sorry. <laughs> it's this, I blame the episode. It's putting my mind in this place. The, the raunchy 2002 era. <laughs> all right. It's time for our third act here, which, you know what, I got to, I like that for once, when has Dr. Hibbert 
ever been the main character of even one treehouse segment like he mm. never gets to be this i i, I, I would like he gets to be crazy the hugo episode oh okay yeah that's true all right i stand yeah. corrected yeah this segment spawned an entire toy set play set whatever you want to call it uh from the mcfarland line i believe they're one of them is like homer and the donut machine from uh the devil and homer simpson and they made one based on this segment it includes the entire family hibbert with the mr burns stole around his neck and comic book guy in his ram form so there's an entire 2006 play set extremely out of print or whatever you call toys that are no longer being made but it exists and i've there- seen it there's barely like a, a plot in this. It's just an ex- excuse to draw these like fun designs, which I do like a lot. And there, there's so many. When we watched it again today before the recording, I noticed new ones like the rooster Wiggum. And mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, Qu- uh, Mayor Quimby's a panda in this. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Think so. Chalmers is there, but I forget what animal he is. Hmm. I was trying to Chal- figure out yeah. who, what he was. Yeah. It's like because he's Chalmers from the neck up, like just his regular design. But it, maybe he's got feathers i i can't tell but. i didn't freeze frame and take a closer look I was, I was just trying to figure out as i was watching it if i didn't hear it on the commentary i would have missed the skinner and agnes combo in it because uh, it goes by so fast like but yeah they they had a lot of fun with this one and now it feels like it was sort of fresh then now i think every i think every cartoon if it goes long enough does an island of dr moreau parody now do you think it was fresh because uh five years earlier south park had that Dr. Mephisto guy and Kevin, the little guy based on the little guy from the movie. And that was five years ago. No, you're right. But it, yeah. this is still funny, but boy, they hit on this parody pretty late, didn't they? For Yeah, you, you know what? You're right. But but there were a lot after this one that did it even more. But yeah, this South Park did it real soon after the 96 movie. But then again, in the uh, one of the horniest Batman the Animated Series episodes, they did it even before it got a new adaptation in uh, Tiger Tiger, where Catwoman becomes a literal cat woman i i did like that one and she's uh she's nearly as sexy as marge is in this episode too as a cat woman but uh, again this is the sexy marge era 2002 2003 i think we needed it to heal after 9 11 let's give her big breasts let's make her into a cat let's get her buff what what are her feet doing let's see them let's draw her in a a tight dress at the start of this episode it's also funny on the commentary castellanet is there and he mentions like working on some play with the the writer who told all the funniest crazy production stories on the uh the val kilmer marlon brando uh film which sounds i've never actually i gotta watch that doc the documentary of all this the island of lost souls i think it's called yeah yeah which is also the original name for the first film adaptation of it from 1932 starring charles lawton and bella lugosi which is what bart also calls where they're going Uh, and they they land pretty quickly and uh they meet dr hibbert who actually gets to act crazy and fun in this one i just uh and yes as they meet dr hibbert they also meet their first manimal without uh and they're not really bothered by it Tell me again why we're spending our vacation on the island of lost souls. Hey, what could be more fun than an island shaped like a big smiley face? Welcome to my island. Dr. Hibbert? But we heard you'd gone mad. Yes, completely mad. About providing top-notch vacation values. (laughs) Willie, help them with their bags. Now he may try to slobber on your crotch. Hey, I've been around Scotsman. (laughs) 
Willie, you know, Willie is a fun one to start with because he's only, I'd say, 10% more animalistic and hairy than he normally is. Yeah, he's like an ape of some sort. Also, I was I was looking at the Chalmers drawing okay. again, <laughs> and uh, I think he's supposed to be an orangutan or something. Like, Yeah, I think he's so. He's just very ape-like. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's one ape-like dude. <laughs> that leads to a great joke later with Homer, but uh, yeah, the, the Hibbert, so Hibbert's gone completely mad on this island. Uh, I'm, I'm glad it's... I think, too, this is another one where they just started with a title like they're going to call it The Island of Dr. Blank. It would make sense for Frank to actually do the sci-fi stuff that's in this, but he would be it'd be the island of Professor Frank. The only doctor they have is Hibbert. So. Dr. What about Nick? Dr. Nick? Yeah. Oh, well, shoot. That would have been funny. Yeah, yeah, actually, he'd be the guy doing all this weird yeah. medical experiment stuff. It's more oh. fitting. Well, actually, you're right. Boy, this is a better rewrite here. That's... <laughs> They do a quick little joke of walking through a scary forest and we're seeing eyes, Scooby-Doo style eyes in the darkness and one set of eyes eats another set of eyes. Kind of Garfield-esque eyes. Yeah. Apparently yeah. that was a very weird David Merkin pitch for a joke and he was it was a challenge for the animators to <laughs> execute that. And I think it kind of works. I think it works. Yeah. I, I like that it has a very Looney Tunes like... <laughs> sound from the the dying pair of eyes that gets eaten i like any variation on the the eyes floating in the darkness gag which is that's been intrinsic to the simpsons from like the second short they they love eyeballs in the dark and it's um it's nice for the animators too they get a bit of a break yeah did you ever get to draw any comics where characters turn invisible so you don't have to draw anybody for i don't page? think so uh that's uh i think of that from uh there was a ren and stimpy comic when i was young that was like the issue was called the 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 artist take it easy kind of issue uh, like there's one issue they transform they become invisible for like eight pages of a comic and it's just word balloons on the same background there was a new episode of beavis and butthead we just watched recently and i think lou morton might have teased it on our interview with him i can't remember but beavis and butthead are in the dark for about two minutes and there's not even floating eyes in the background and i think the joke is you think they're going to find a source of light but they don't and you're just looking at nothing but darkness uh, I got to catch up. I got to catch up on these before they're delisted from Paramount Plus as well. Or Nah, they're, they're doing pretty good. I don't think they'll get delisted. They're not going to be thrown in the Pluto TV slot pile. <laughs> so they go to dinner. This is when uh, they really luxuriate on a long Frank scene. I think animated by Silverman himself, this little bit here. It looks, especially the way his head flops over, it looks very Silverman-y. Yeah. This was disturbing to me. Well, that he was cooked fully and is still talking. <laughs> and him saying... Up in my puppic, that was the part that disturbed me the most. That is but. Yiddish for belly button, by the way. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, I'm less disgusted. Hey, more belly button talk. I'm disgusted by all this talk. Me too. <laughs> the, uh, but yes, he's being hacked at as he's uh, the delicious nerd. Well, I was thinking of also Bob is having to see a lot of bird violence in this third act here. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. I mean, he's already been cooked. <laughs> Well, it's not as bad as the bird violence coming in a couple minutes. That's no, fine. Yeah. It's tasteful. <laughs> Cats actually do that. Uh, and they should be stopped. <laughs> so so Marge goes on uh, some sleuthing of her own. And this is where it feels like, oh, this could be a Marge episode. But uh, instead, in the end, it just becomes another Homer episode. He's the main character of all three acts. This is when Marge actually gets to be funny for once. House of Pain. This must be where you pay the bill. <laughs> Why am I always so funny when no one's around? <gasps> oh, I'm around. Uh, what's up, honey? Want a little oven? Oh, 
Quite a tiger there. Easy, easy. Oh, oh, I guess it has been a while. Okay, okay. That hurts more than it tickles. Quiet, use. <laughs> Isn't vacation sex always the best? Marge, you were like a wild beast. So voracious and prowly. And I've never seen you use your tail like that. <laughs> Oh my god! She's become a monster! Which I have to admit, I sort of suspected during the sex. The the thing about Bart throwing the boot could be a uh, reference lost to time. I just know it as in, in olden times when cats were in heat outside of your window, you'd throw a boot out the window. Because they're meowing all night and yeah. you pick up your old boot like, shut up you! I think uh, I think the first Sylvester cartoon when he's got a big red nose has yeah. that same plot line. You know, I conflated with that and also it was a running gag in Garfield of giant boots being thrown at him. Though, of course, Garfield, not for being horny. Be, no. Uh, usually it was him doing his, uh, his stand-up routine on the fence posts, I believe. You know, it didn't make me laugh when I was watching it, but Marge's uh, feline sounds are very funny. I could just imagine, like, I don't know, 58-year-old Julie Kavner having to do all this. Like, <laughs> and, and the director is like, no, hornier, hornier. <laughs> and now do the sound of a boot hitting you. <laughs> yeah. it's. I also love how Homer is describing her in all these ways that it's obvious she is a cat and he had sex with her. <laughs> just like so proudly <laughs> like who says so proudly like i but yeah when i when i remembered the images from this episode i forgot that i thought like oh yeah this is a horny episode because they turned marge into a sexy cat lady but it's not just that she instantly has sex with homer after becoming a sexy cat lady it's just to make it uh extra horny for this episode. and ned flanders is milked yes yeah <laughs> i have a stupid tangent by the way i have a question for oh you're brain. in the right place oh boy okay <laughs> oh boy stupid tangent uh we bob and i or i i showed bob uh justice league doom and uh like there's cheetah in there like yes. wonder woman's uh nemesis what is the deal with her is she just like a good fighter where does she come from uh well uh, there's a lot is of this too to long <laughs> well, uh, first thing there... you need to know eight nipples <laughs> no uh well traditionally with cheetah when she first appeared she's an evil a more evil cat woman who is a lady who put on a cat costume okay and then has like magic nails that can she's not as strong as as uh one woman but her claws can like scratch her properly and then by the 80s they decided they needed to upgrade her from lady in a cheetah costume to a full-on furry and so uh then she became a furry and she's she's faster than wonder woman but not as strong but her claws can can slash her up but so. like where does she come from if she's this furry is she made into that uh yes she i believe was a fashion model our fashion designer who then transformed into a cat person out of uh anger towards wonder woman it's kind of similar to her they adapted a little bit for her origin in Kristen wig playing her and that's i was wondering about that movie yeah yeah that she's basically she's jealous of wonder woman and then blessed by the gods with the power to kill her yeah, you know, okay. you, you hear about these things that activate people into becoming furries. That I mean, they realize like, oh, I I really like this. It's you know, Gadget from Rescue Rangers is a big example of that. Minerva Mink, people's kids see that and like, I love this. I wonder how many now thirty some year olds watch this segment and realize I I love Cat Marge and I need to talk to more like minded people about it. Hmm, I wonder. I would bet it's it it furthered it along too. Like, same with like for our generation, it was also like Sally Acorn too. Oh yeah. 
yes, yeah. absolutely. The, the the naked rat. See, I yeah, I think the trick of it was or squirrel. What the hell was she? Uh, oh, acorn. Yeah, it would fit with squirrel. squirrel yeah. yeah, but I think the trick of it was that in the eighties. You were allowed to have all of these nude male furry characters, but they were not drawn in a sexual manner like, you know, Chip and Dale. They're just little roly-poly guys. Like, you're not to say mm-hmm. you couldn't find them attractive, I suppose, but <laughs> the the point of them wasn't to be sexual objects. And so then, hornier animators, and especially in the 80s in America, they design female characters to follow the same rules same like sonic the hedgehog like well sonic the hedgehog's naked so when we draw sally acorn she just won't be wearing clothes either but then they give them the lines of a more shapely figure than a uh, cartoon male character now what made sal okay we're gonna talk about sally acorn real quick here <laughs> what made her seem naked is the fact that she has no clothes but she does have boots Oh, and see? that makes her seem like she's missing clothing. But you know, Gadget, she does wear full pants. Like she has pants on, unlike the rest of her team. Like, like a jumpsuit. Yeah, Monterey Jack doesn't wear pants. He's 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 uh, free. <laughs> <laughs> um, more free than her. Yeah. To be pedantic, by the way, I think it's uh, I think Margie's supposed to be a panther, not a cat. Okay. Mm, a puma? Maybe a puma? The claws do more damage than a regular. Uh, I like how even her ears moved up, and and also that her hair is everywhere on her too. Well, yeah. just because um, when the characters are transformed into the animal they're supposed to be, there's the size changes accordingly as well. Right. Oh right. yeah, panthers are darker. So mm. yeah, I guess. But Margie's hair is blue. I don't know. I think this is a, a, a uh, we can't ask Kevin Coran unless we have a seance. <laughs> oh. Okay. Um, the Funko Pop of her, it says Panther Marge. Okay, then we've got it. Well, there we yeah. go. That's that's as, re- that's as good a cover for it as any, for sure. Yeah. I bet in his final days, he signed off on that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, honestly, he probably learned about it when the toy came out. He's like, oh, I guess they made a toy of this, and I didn't get any money. <laughs> By the way, remember when um, April O'Neil became a, like a cat lady? Oh, yeah. Who yeah. could forget? <laughs> well, <it's> a, <laughs> I think that activated a few people. Yeah. Oh, and we covered the Gargoyles episode where Elisa Maza became a, a, a gargoyle lady as well. This entire podcast network is going to turn me into a furry. <laughs> We're pushing Bob farther and farther <laughs> towards it. Uh, I'm just typing in April O'Neil cat. <laughs> okay, yeah. If we did, if we do the Animaniacs again and do the Minerva Mink episode, I think that'll be the final final nudge. The problem is the horny fan art of that one episode outweighs the actual art from the episode of April O'Neil the cat. I, I only know this about April because I know someone who loves uh, Ninja Turtles and he loves Cat April. You know, for Ninja and they Tur- did make a toy out of that too. For Ninja Turtle fans who read the Archie comics, their favorite furry was they made up a Japanese Ninja. Ninja Fox girlfriend for Raphael in it, who's what? only in the Archie comics. Yes, hmm, look hmm. up, look up Raphael's Ninja girlfriend. I've already googled too many things. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm gonna look this up, <laughs> but uh, but yes, they Homer. It finally hits Homer when he sees Marge kill a bird with her mouth and just rip it apart. And uh, so yes, Homer heads off uh, to, uh, and as he's exploring, he comes across Ned. Even Al Jean on the commentary has to admit that, like, gee, where's this joke going? When the top half of Ned is sticking out of a stable we all know where it's going i do love how homer said uh when homer is doing it ned says you're actually quite gentle when you want to be like that's that's a very hot uh <laughs> reply to it. nina showing me salacious furry arts 
U- Umeko, that's her name? Yeah, it? yeah, that's her. Yeah. Why yeah. is a turtle getting with a fox? I don't like this. <laughs> uh, you know, they it's uh, there's a lot more furries in oh, the Actually, uh, I think she's supposed to be a tanuki. Oh, okay. Man. I think. I feel Depends like, on the... Uh, actually, I think she's a tanuki. I feel like one of them is a kitsune. Maybe, I'm get, maybe that's a second one. Uh, what are we doing here, folks? <laughs> Sorry. Let's I, get back I, on track. <laughs> well, this is about furries. Right. Yeah. Raphael, girlfriend... <laughs> Uh, Ninjara, yeah, Umeko uh, with her code name Ninjara, yes. So yeah, it's uh, you know what you're right. She's, I think you're right that she is more of a Tanuki than uh, yeah. I think it is a Tanuki, yeah. But yeah, so I'm glad we cleared this up. The the guy who wrote the comics was really into her and would not sign off on the rights for her to appear in other stuff. Hmm. Like hmm. Uh, he has partial ownership, so she can only appear in the old comics. So uh, he's but, like, only I get to draw her. I learned this from uh, Mike Carlson, who uh, from Podcast Right, who's an even bigger fan of that era of the Ninja Turtles comics hmm. than I. Uh, but okay, yeah. So Homer milks Ned, gives him a good squeeze. <laughs> I think um, we, the society, don't talk about th- this scene enough. <laughs> Ned's really enjoying it. Yeah, he's like, ooh, like, yeah, he's, he's having a good time. And then Homer gets to ride him. Uh, Al Jean also really loves the song The Lion Sleeps Tonight. Like, uh, the, 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 the critic sings the song as well. Yeah, there's a very long scene in uh, Sherman of Arabia, I think the episode is called. Yeah, yeah, when they went to Iraq. And uh, in this case, he's uh, Homer. Homer sings it until we end up with all the animal hybrids. You know, another of my favorites is they could have turned Snake into a snake, but they make him a skunk, which mm-hmm. I think that's much more clever. And one thing they missed because this term did not enter the lexicon until maybe a few years later is that Edna is a leopard. Uh, I feel like they totally missed the joke of making her a cougar, but we weren't talking about cougars on TV in 2002. My first thought here is like, oh, it's a cougar. Jo- oh, wait, no, that's not that's not a thing yet. It hadn't been entered the real lexicon. Uh, we were I- uh, we were on the way to Cougar Town. <laughs> right. There was a few exits off the off the freeway. There's a, a really old uh, Bongo Comics one shot comic called Edna, Queen of the Congo. Hmm. And she's like oh. in this sexy little oh, outfit wow. here. And she's like a jungle woman. Yeah, I remember that. They, I, I think definitely it, Bill Moore's in art. Yes, yeah. Well, I, I could totally see uh, from Morrison's generation being a fan of Shauna the She Devil and uh, those kind of comics. So they turn Edna into that. Yes, check that out, Bob. <laughs> Bob's doing a double take. Ooga! <laughs> I thought you were going to do a spit take. <laughs> I wanted the spit take. Oh uh, wow! January nineteen ninety five. That was the perfect audience for this. Yeah, it's super old. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I I remember reading it. I think it's on the flip. Uh, they did a flip back uh, backups in the first years of, of Simpson Comics. I don't know how long they kept doing that. If that was in your time, you know, of, of backups in like there's the main story and then like an eight page backup in Simpsons Comics. Oh, I think they kept doing that. Okay, but yeah, they had fun with this one. You could tell. I was glad. Just a that- horny Krabappel comic. <laughs> It definitely seemed when we interviewed uh, Morrison, it sounded like the first couple years of Bongo, especially, were really hard, like to get that many books out. So I'm glad at least that like they got to have a lot of fun with weird backup stories like that one. They also did one uh, in the first year. I remember that they took the one-off joke of Otto's uh, vampire killer comic and made it an entire like eight-page story. Oh, really? Too. Yeah, cool. yeah. It was a fun one. Uh, anyway, everybody's an animal. Hear me, accursed brethren. I understand that some of you are still wearing tattered pants. Please throw them on the bonfire and embrace your animal essence. Okay, but I'm keeping the tattered vest. I still have my dignity. Hey, slops! 
Ooh, a toenail! <laughs> I can't believe it! Hibberts turn you all into human guinea pigs. We prefer Italian-American pigs. Hey, Dad, check it out. Eat my shorts, <laughs> Why, you little... Maggie! Lisa! We were just playing. What game? Let's eat Maggie. Yeah! <laughs> now, uh, they were at least savvy enough to not do a parody of Marlon Brando's Little Mini-Me because South Park did that first, and then Austin Powers had Mini-Me. Mini-Me is a parody of that little character from The Island of Dr. Moreau. I totally forgot about that until now. They at least knew, like, well, we can't do that. Because Marlon Brando just fell in love with this uh, smaller actor and, yeah. and, and insisted they film together. You know, I really hate how they use Luigi as the prop for all of their jokes about political correctness. Like, they, it's, it's one of the real negatives of the Gene era, I feel like. Anytime they want to say, like, oh, political correctness gone awry, it usually is about Italian-American stuff and Luigi. I think it's also because they can't say the other slurs on Fox. Yeah, that too, that too. I, you can say the many Italian slurs on Fox in 2002. I also didn't know that guinea pigs are called cavies. Like, hmm, that's really? A, that's you, another name for them. A British person would call a guinea pig this? It's it's the other name for them on, uh, on the wiki page. I think it hmm. comes from their their scientific name. And huh. It's shortened to cavies. Though that's not as cute to, as me, uh, to me as guinea pigs. I, I also like how long it takes Homer to read Eat My Shorts. There's a couple of bits in here that feel like them mocking uh, season one style Bart stuff one of Bart bringing back Eat My Shorts and then also at the start of the episode when he's pretending to be Maude, he's like chill out dudes it's me bart simpson like <laughs> i guess i guess that's what bart says bart says chill out dudes and uh yes uh maggie is a cute anteater that's almost killed by lisa so this is when homer kind of takes over the episode as the main character and he gets to make the speech oh and i do like the comic book guys identifying the thing that happens in all these types of stories of like so do they still wear their tattered clothes or do they leave their clothes behind re renouncing humanity and he's bringing up the like you guys you're still wearing your tattered clothes <laughs> we we need to move past this yeah most dogs just hate wearing sweaters so i feel like once you enter animal <laughs> form you're just tearing that stuff off of your body but he specifically says the pants he's fine yeah. with them wearing like vests and whatever i feel like the next stage is getting rid of the vest too it's disgusting but hearing wiggum say slops instead of slop makes it funnier than me it's it's funnier they call it slops so Homer talks to all the animals and invertebrates, and uh, they actually do kind of believe him. And he said they refer to him as a half gorilla. <laughs> which he's a quidgybo. They think that he's already transformed. So then we get another Gene taking a shot at his master's bit here. It's Mr. Burns with a fox attitude. Uh, that's based on that when they took the show, uh, the critic season two to Fox, they were told to fox it up, bring in that fox attitude, which Gene says uh, meant more fart jokes. Yeah, yeah, just like lewd humor. The only joke in this that made me full on just go like, is disco shrew. <laughs> like it's made, it's meant to make me grow. Was it? I know. Was it written backwards from from that joke? They're like, oh, you know, we thought of disco shrew. Okay, let's do Island of Doctor Moreau. Let's go backwards. Uh, but yes, this is when Homer. This is when Homer changes his mind. <laughs> Now, I admit I made a few mistakes, but all in the name of progress. Here, here. It's Mr. Burns with a fox attitude. Think about it, my hideous children. 
Aren't you better off now than you were as humans? Me gusto pollen. Disco shrew can steal boogaloo. <laughs> All you can do is eat and sleep and mate and roll around in your own filth and mate and eat. Where do I sign up? So, how do you like being a walrus, Dad? It's great. I haven't been this skinny since high school. Homie, someone owes me a back scratch. Look at that island. Shaped like our number four. Makes you think. You know, I feel like there should have been a lawsuit. Uh, 20th Century Fox Television versus VSQ Productions because this is the plot of Tusk. Holy crap. Yep. That it, was in my notes, too. Yeah. <laughs> it, right. it really isn't. But one element is the same, and that's enough for a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, yeah, Fox, I mean, they should be, uh, they're not going to get much money out of Kevin Smith. But uh, that's one movie I, I couldn't finish. It was just too bad. Every detail I heard about, I was like, no, this sucks too hard. I can't. And if uh, the, and, and of course, this is not to say that the last two movies he made weren't also not good, but they're in the Viewisk Universe world, so I can at least attach nostalgia to them. Mm -hmm. Mm. Meanwhile, like, well, also, like, something about seeing Justin Long playing a uh, ridiculous podcaster <laughs> in uh, that is in no way like the life of a podcaster also kind of bothered the me. Story, I mean, the story of that movie is he pitched it while high on a podcast. No good ideas begin there. Uh, Kevin Smith now, is he's off the green. He's, I, he's off of it completely. It sounds like he's in a better place, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, he really, he's doing too <laughs> it much. It makes it sound like he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's, 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 he's playing been. catch with... Uh, Mark Wilmore and Kevin Coran. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Smith's never been more alive than now, really. It's uh but now the the reveal so again Act one ends with Marge going like, oh, this is crazy. Actually, I like it. Same deal with Homer here. Like, this is crazy. Oh, I actually want this. Though, how does a walrus Homer have sex with a cat Marge? I, I'm, I'm curious how this mm. would work. I Maybe mean, they don't. Well, they are both mammals, but uh, so, you Good know. Good point. Yeah. So, sorry, the last bit of deleted scenes. On the DVDs, there's only one color deleted scene, and they made the right pick by deleting it and adding Kang and Kodos. Kang and Kodos, originally not in the episode at all. This was a retake. The original last scene was after Marge is enjoying having her back scratched, it then pulls back to show Hibbert watching it. And he's like, he is happy that, oh, sorry, Marge first coughs up a hairball. So they have that joke. And then Hibbert cackles that like, uh, they're all enjoying it. Now to change them all back. And then it uh, blacks out. And that's not as funny as Kang and Kodos just appearing for no reason and then flying yeah, away. Yeah, a good choice. And that makes sure they're included in this special. Yeah. If they weren't in this part, there would have just been no Kang and Kodos the whole episode. By the way, here's a picture of a, a walrus penis bone. Well, nice. Uh, okay, so it's enormous. <laughs> I didn't know a bone was attached to their penis. There's I, a lot of animals that have a, a penis bone. I, I, like th I think there was a recent news story you guys can look it up out there it's real great this public beach uh it was a real problem because this walrus was masturbating on the beach <laughs> and, it, and it wouldn't stop <laughs> it wouldn't stop what uh, is there video footage of oh this? we're gonna look it up now oh man um, but yeah it was a news story i think like in the in the winter or something i'm gonna get the fbi called on me for Yes, uh, actually, it was New Year's Eve. Walrus public masturbation ruins New Year's Eve celebration. <laughs> um, 
A masturbating walrus shut down New Year's Eve fireworks in a UK town because town officials didn't want to wake him from his post jerk off nap. Oh boy. Was it using its flipper? I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Wow. Yeah. Man, I I thought it was just, uh, I thought the flippers were just used for innocent belly slapping. Nope, nope. They're slapping other things. (laughs) Oh boy. Uh, And yeah, I'm looking at a title, uh, English Town Cancels New Year Fireworks for Arctic Walrus only for it to masturbate in public and leave. <laughs> well, I'm glad it left. Homer's, Homer is up to, I mean, it's not just the mating, it's the masturbating. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so it can reach itself down there, huh? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's pretty big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, oh yeah, well, with a bone that big, uh, it can reach the flippers. Yeah. Uh, wow. Apparently it was a lusty old walrus named Thor. <laughs> oh, it had a name. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. Well, that's fun. <laughs> well, I don't think we can top that. I think no. <laughs> that, uh, you're well, glad? This podcast is over yeah <laughs> you're glad i have can vividly recall walrus masturbation news stories uh hey here i here i thought i was gonna have to imagine how walrus could have sex with a cat woman but now i i have a good idea he doesn't um, need to <laughs> oh i'm seeing a photo of this now okay oh wow <laughs> i'm not gonna show you thank you uh but uh well and the outro music is apparently meant to evoke the adams family music a little bit or that's what they say honestly it doesn't I, feel like it. it just feels like they just added harpsichord to the instrumentation of the the theme yeah and it's not like the other ones where it's like oh this is clearly them doing the, the snaps you know, yeah the snaps or when they did the monsters like obvious surf rock kind of style mm-hmm. not not the same here but yeah it's is uh animation wise this is about as good as it gets in the show these none of these uh as scripts feel like standouts to me if i had to pick my favorite of the three i actually think it is the guns one in oh the really i think well as far as writing goes i think it's a funny hmm. the funniest idea as as executed the clones to me is the is the best of the three yeah i think i enjoy that one the most in terms of animation this is this is a strong start to the season i think uh and i love the the full return of silverman i mean he had been a producer throughout season 13 but here he really gets to shine and he doesn't get to direct many more episodes after this so it's great to see him doing what he does best uh, nina well, uh, new condo forever by the <laughs> new way condo forever. But we're gonna end, end the show i'm doing the it. arm thing yeah i'm doing it too uh what did you think of the episode uh, it's okay. Um, I would say uh, the script is kind of weak, but visually it's fun to watch, especially like the, the animal stuff at the end, uh, all the homers. Uh, I guess the middle one, mm, it's all right. Like there's some, some like cool design choices there. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Shooting zombies with guns and they just run off into the sunset. That's pretty funny. I like seeing that. But yeah, no, I think this is, I'd say this is better than the previous year's Treehouse, which, uh, though the Smart House killing everybody was pretty fun. Yeah, what else was in the previous one again? Boy, it was a Smart House. It was the Leprechaun. Oh, Harry Potter. Eesh. Oh, right. This is yeah. way better yeah. than the yeah. Harry yeah. Potter one. So, yes, yeah. absolutely. Agreed. <laughs> but the Smart House and the Leprechaun, those were good. Those were on par with this one. Just Harry Potter was so crummy. Like, I'm glad they did not pick a just coming out movie or tv sh- uh, or book to parody mm-hmm. uh this year better better choices all around uh yeah. nina matsumoto thanks for being on the show and uh let us know where we can find you online and what you're working on you've got a lot uh going on right now mm-hmm. uh if you go to spacecoyote.com you can see my art and go to spacecoyote.com slash links to see me on your current social media platform of choice lots of people are leaving twitter still uh, i'm still on there space coyote that's space coyote with an l at the end instead of an e and i design video game merch for fangamer so go to fangamer.com sort by artist and click on my name most recently i designed merchandise for 
Ace Attorney, Dead Space, and Spiritfarer. Hmm. Awesome. And you and uh, folks, should we, we don't promote it enough the, on our tea Public, full of t-shirts also designed by Nina, including uh, the brand new one this year that we referenced earlier about how The Simpsons didn't predict anything. It's satire is dead. It's true. It's a great, great design. Perfectly summed up via t-shirt. But thank you for being on the show, Nina. <laughs> yes, thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me. Although we went to some strange places here. And <laughs> we... I learned that Henry is a big uh, pervert. Yeah. Uh, hey, whoa. Some hey. of us knew that already. <laughs> Uh, but as for us, if you want to check out more of what we do and get these episodes one week ahead of time and ad free, please go to patreon.com slash talking Simpson, sign up for five bucks a month. When you do that, you get the advanced episodes and also access to everything behind that $5 paywall. That includes monthly new episodes of talking Futurama and talking of the hill, as well as the entire archives of those, as well as past mini series like blab about Batman, the animated series talking mission Hill and talking critic. There is over 150 bonus episodes waiting for you behind the paywall. The second you sign up at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. And there's a $10 level as well. When you sign up for that, you can access all the $5 stuff naturally, but then you can also access one extremely long podcast once a month, only for patrons of that level or higher. And what is that, Henry? Bob is talking about the What a Cartoon Movie Podcast, our premium monthly podcast where we go over an animated feature film just as in-depth as we do an episode of The Simpsons, which often means going for over five or even six hours about an animated feature film. This month, you're going to hear us talk about Toy Story 4 for over six hours. Uh, the final time count hasn't come back just yet, but it's definitely over six hours and you last month would have heard us talk about uh our yearly live action film discussion of little shop of horrors the 1986 adaptation and we're beginning our summer of pixar so sign up today to get to hear each month a brand new episode about uh a different pixar film and there are nearly five years worth of what a cartoon movies at your fingertips in addition all the five dollar things bob mentioned everything from akira to a goofy movie we cover the gamut check it all out for yourself at patreon.com slash talking simpsons as for me, I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo, and my other podcast is Retronauts, the classic gaming podcast all about old video games. You can find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts. Sign up there for two full-length bonus episodes every month. And Henry, how about you? Follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. I'm always tweeting up a storm there. Also, if you're following us on Twitter, you should definitely be following the official Twitter account. That wouldn't be possible without Nina's help. Thank you so much, Nina. It is at Talk Simpsons Pod on Twitter. You stay in the loop whenever there's new podcasts or other stuff going on in our lives. And same if you follow at Talk Simpsons Pod on Instagram. That's at Talk Simpsons Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Also, if you want an easy to explore list of all our previously released free episodes, head on over to TalkingSimpsonsPodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening, folks. We'll see you again next time for the latest episode of our community podcast, Talk to the Audience, and we'll see you then. some frosty chocolate milkshakes. Mm.